Magic bank robbery, the first Super Mario Brothers movie, and Will Smith is all over the place this week on 30-20-10. Hello everybody and welcome to 30-20-10 and I gotta make these intros short because this is gonna be another long one. Last week we topped out at like director's cut of Two Towers, but this week there's so much to talk about. Hi, I'm one of your hosts Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman and I had so many things I was gonna say and I'm gonna go with R.I.P. Ray Stevenson. What the fuck? Yeah, that was out of nowhere, man. I did not know that was him in RRR, like one of my favorite movies of last year. Ah, one he, of my favorite he, character guys. Mm-hmm. He will always be the guy from Rome to me. Yeah. I mean, ah. he is just like so perfect as a Roman soldier. Dude, if you have not gone back and watched Rome, especially if you liked any part of Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. go watch Rome. That show's rad. Now imagine it's subsidized by the British government and boom, Rome. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that roots this episode, you know, Beginning of summer 2023, but 302010 is where we look back at the world. 30, 20, and 10 years ago from this this a specific week, this week being May 26th through June 1st. So we'll be talking about all the great stuff and news that came out 1993, 2003, and 2013. If I'm rushing it, it's because we went so long last week, and there's about as much to get through this week. But we'll try and... There's, there's more this week. JR, you didn't introduce yourself. But... Oh, sorry, JR. I'm JR Rawls, and you know what I do when uh, hosts ignore me? Just keep swimming, just keep ah. swimming, swim, 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 swim. Got a smile on my face. Uh, can't wait to get there. Uh, well, how about we start in 1993? Thank our patrons right at the top, patreon.com slash laser time. Give us five bucks or less or more, and we'll keep the show going for another year, I promise. A little bit of news, just that I can rattle off quickly, that happened 30 years ago. Sega voluntarily adds a rating system to its home video games, and I don't know if that... Ha- has anything to do coincide with the news that Disney is de- is developing kind of its first game for a Sega platform? Sega had made Disney games on its own, but Aladdin. Is I coming. don't think it was specifically that. I think it was the console wars are really heating up. Yep, and Sega is trying to be the anti Nintendo. Right, and I think this is them priming the ground. Uh, for more violent games, because they see that as the I think so too. And that, but I think it could have been a, a way to appease Disney, just because like you're the violent video game platform. Like no, 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 no. We got this rating system. Don't regulate us, government. And then eventually the whole industry had to catch on. But that's why I have a Beauty and the Beast game that is rated GA for Georgia. That is whatever that meant. That is Sega's exclusive rating system. It was not the SRB. It was just seemingly random, and no one really knew what they meant. So you, you kind of had to get them uniform for them to mean anything. It would be like it would be like Warner Brothers and Disney rating their movies differently, which mm. doesn't help anybody. And then uh, this week, thirty years ago in the White House, the White House receives its first email. I mean, I don't know that it <laughs> receives its first email, but like they are now integrating email into the White House thanks to the cr- inventor of the internet, Al Gore. I am willing to bet somehow that Obama is the last president to use email. I somehow think that's totally possible. <laughs> no, <Okay. laughs> nah, but. Uh... Well, I know the, the, yeah, the last guy didn't use it. Thinking of when does whitehouse.com open up? Do you guys remember that website from the 90s? Yes. Wait, was that the no. parody website? It was great. No, it was like a porn website. Oh, right. Someone right. Whitehouse.org was like, like a political onion uh, <laughs> because they didn't get that one. Oh, mm. Whitehouse.com, you silly geese. Anyway, let's move into the movies because 
Oh boy, uh, there's a lot to talk about this week. Because first up, Bill Duke, Samuel L. Jackson, Jada Pickett-Smith, Charles S. Dutton, Tyron Turner, and Lorenz Tate in Menace to Society. Menace to Society. Uh. We have finally done it, everyone. We have covered all the movies named in the title of Don't Be a Menace to Central While Drinking Your Juice and Good. We did it! Mission accomplished! Yeah, and the the debut of the Hughes brothers, I believe, as uh, writers, directors, uh, shepherding this in. And it feels like it was written by young people, and it feels like it's starring people too young. And I want to be nice about it, but it is the silliest of all the Hood movies uh, Hmm. that are the big ones, in my opinion. Very melodramatic. I, oh, it is I very melodramatic, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know if I agree completely, Chris. I mean, I, I will say it's different from a lot of them. Like, mm. Boys in the Hood is not about criminals. No. It's about uh, Blacks youth who are in a poor environment. This is about the people who make that a horrible place for the average Black person to live. This is about the thugs. This is about the literal menaces to societies i suppose you know what these people no it still feels like it's written by white people from the opening scene like what these teenagers just start gunning down a cashier just for getting angry yeah i mean so much of it is you know about well it's about the cycle of violence and that there's no way to stop it it's just so much of like you were rude to my sister so i punched you well now you're doing a drive-by well now i'm going to drive by your friends and it's just like so much of it is violence coming out of nowhere yeah and then you realize the nowhere is just that there's violence everywhere sure yeah and that like well, yeah and that there's like no fucking escape but they're like hey let's no, move to atlanta no. i that is atlanta better though yes, yes because his uh significant other has a much better job in atlanta they can live in a nicer area there can be le- less crime this character is given chance after chance to escape Mm -hmm. this system this is a greek tragedy tragedy is when someone is given the opportunity to change does not change and suffers the consequences from that not changing and that's what we see in this uh this main character is choosing to stay in this cycle of violence because in my opinion he's utterly terrified of leaving it he doesn't Mm. know what he would not be what would he be outside of this violent lives? He has no conception of that. It scares him on a level he's not willing to admit. Yeah. I still I, think it's well, heightened yeah. and heightened and silly. <laughs> I still maintain that. Uh, it's, uh, it's, I don't, know about I don't think it's a real. Heightened, I, yes. Uh, yeah, there was, there was very few neighborhoods more dangerous than inner city LA, South Central LA at this time. Even Atlanta would have been a major step up going to its ghettos for real. But still, it just portrays this like Goodfellas esque violence that happens with these children all day long, which I think that's what you might want to remember it as. But it probably wasn't, and it's kind of remorseless. And I don't, I don't know. Like I, I think it's, it's just like a first screenplay. It just, it's very, but it's compelling. I know a, a generation of people love this fucking movie. I just always thought it was the cheesiest, and uh, the dialogue didn't feel very honest. It felt like sometimes it was written by white people. See, what I felt I was listening to was literal sociopaths. Okay. Our, 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 our best guess, and they take huge efforts to hide it, but our best guess is somewhere between one and 5% of the human race is just a natural born sociopath. Okay. 
they're born without a sense of remorse. They don't really have guilt, as you and I know the term, mm -hmm. and they operate on a completely different level. And if you're a very intelligent sociopath, you can keep that under control enough through sheer willpower and sheer planning. Get a job on Wall like, Street. Yeah. <laughs> uh, our best guess, again, is that in very high ranks of organizations, sociopaths are probably overrepresented. That's yep. our best guess. And, but if and you're I would a argue. sociopath, <laughs> you shoot a clerk because he mumbled something about your mom. Because you don't have that filter. You don't have that sense of wrongness in you. You just act on what you want to do. I still yeah. think there are and too many argue, characters like these, that in this movie. <laughs> they, these are also, we're talking about young teenagers. Lorenz Taint was all of 16. Mm -hmm. it's like, And I would argue... Teenagers are by their nature sociopaths. I think I think that for for me that is true because when I looked at Boys in the Hood, which is the masterpiece of them all, all of those people are in like their mid twenties and playing teenagers, whereas wow. these teenagers are played by actual teenagers. Which I, I wrote down is like, is this making this less believable or is it less believable because it's more authentic? No, because teenagers have no impulse control, take True. everything way too personally, way too seriously, and you should not have guns around them. Yeah. Yep. Hundred percent. And uh, speaking of the juice, uh, yeah. Tupac was supposed to be in this, was fired, and then assaulted the director and went to court yeah. over it. Uh, oh, this sound, uh, oh, the the character. I love the idea that the Tupac was supposed to play the guy who's discovered Islam. Yes, and so he's going to be like super buttoned down. That it would have been great. You, that would have been fucking, that would have been an interesting Tupac, role. Show your role. Show your range. Mm -hmm. Come on. Yeah. He's like, no, I wanted to play tough and cool and hard. <laughs> I think he wanted to. According to someone on the set, he wanted. You got to at least give me a hard past and tell me what I what happened to make me like this. I can't just appear like this. I'm like, you're a good actor, man. You could do that. <laughs> you could yeah. totally do that. But uh, it would have been semi-easy to write, too. And I'm sure it was somewhere in the script anyway, because that happens to a lot of people, uh, especially in situations where you might go to jail a lot. Most of my friends find religion for a little while when they're in the jurnt. Um, so I am not an authority on on the ghetto in 1993 and neither of my co-hosts i apologize what i am an authority on oh god is the next film <laughs> uh, <laughs> sort of fiona shaw uh richard edson fisher stevens samantha mathis dennis hopper john leguizamo bob hoskins on an italian in the bunch it's the super mario brothers movie from Hollywood Pictures, America's favorite game jumps to the ultimate level of excitement with Mario, Luigi, the princess, Yoshi, and King Koopa. Muster the Goomba! into the movie event of the summer with the Super Mario Brothers, rated PG. Starts Friday, May 28th at a theater near you. What? First of all, that trailer plays Super Mario 3 sound effects and shows Super Mario World. So that's wrong. No, I am not going to get on some fucking ultra pedantic thing about the Super Mario Brothers movie. It's been run through the ringer enough to the point where... I saw I saw some people walk out of the new Super Mario Brothers movie and like the original was better and I'm like <laughs> <laughs> like I I'm sick of this movie getting kicked in the nuts too it's just kind of like boring to hear but this movie is fucking stupid and bad I I have a question mm -hmm. really that's really the one question that needs answering please cuz look I didn't have a Nintendo but I played Super Mario Brothers plenty at friend's house uh at this point we, you know Two, three, Land World and Land Two have come out. 
Mm-hmm. And when I think of the aesthetic of Super Mario Brothers, <laughs> I think of a bright blue sky and you're outdoors and there's clouds and there's bushes yeah. or sometimes you're on an icy level or sometimes you're up a mountain uh, or there's lots of plants and you got to pick them up and throw them at guys. Sometimes you're in a dungeon. Oh, that's scary. But then you get out of there. That's cool. What I don't think of is what appears to be the Mars set from Total Recall, yeah. which is where this movie takes place. Set on a dinosaur planet underground. In a mall! Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know who the set designer for this film was? Please tell me. The same guy who did Blade Runner. Wow. Well, and it shows. That tracks. That tracks. Oh, but, but like, uh, I, I talking uh, to my, my buddy, our Video Game Apocalypse uh, host, Matt, Matt Allen, who he works... In ga- he works. He's worked in games and Hollywood, and he he he. I always thought like, yeah, obviously games and cartoons are going to be hard to adapt in a major motion picture. And he was sort of like, a lot of times Hollywood thinks they know better. Like like this video game or TV show would be much more popular if they were only doing this. And I I just don't understand how this is so much more elaborate a set, and the directors got blamed. But like, dude, everybody signed off on this, including Nintendo. Everybody thought well, this seemed like a good idea. I want a movie about the making yes, of please. Super Mario Bros. <laughs> I please. do. Yes. This is such a train wreck. I mean, there are far more fascinating stories about the making of this film yeah. than there are watching the film. And the producers went to the Nintendo and said, uh, we want to buy the rights for Super Mario Brothers for $5 million. And Nintendo said... Uh, well, why would we listen to you? You're not very powerful. Why wouldn't we uh, talk to uh, Columbia Pictures, Universal, Disney? And the producer said, because I'm here in Japan and came to see you, and none of them have done that. Mm. And then he gave them all the merchandising rights. So <laughs> that, as oh, they thought says, they- <laughs> that's the sweetest plum. They thought they had the Star Wars win. Ha ha. Mm-hmm. Uh, ju- juxtapose that to 30 years later. Well, one, this in- ended Nintendo's affiliation with wanting to make any Western productions out of any of its properties. And they didn't really acquiesce to that. And they did so very, very slowly by allowing certain characters to be in Wreck-It Ralph and uh, what was that movie? Pixels. And then very, very slow. And like now, cut to that Super Mario Brothers movie. Miyamoto, the creator of Mario, is a producer. He is working on the film. And I think that has something to do with her universal theme park money. Of course, it makes just makes financial sense. But like it made Nintendo wash its hands with any kind of adaptation for 30 years. And that's why this is the second most important movie of 1993 or influential how about that because well, it, is, it is the first video game movie period right no. period yeah there was no pac-man there was no donkey kong there was nothing this is this nope. is it yep. and it's radically influential and changed the next 30 years by what didn't happen we didn't get the <laughs> nintendo universe in 1993 yeah. we didn't get people rushing to copy uh video games the way they rushed to copy uh, comic books after Batman was a huge success, you know, that was a trend all the way up to uh, the Phantom or whatever. With no, Billy they Zane almost in 1996 intentionally made low budget, half assed, dyed hair steampunk movies in the model of Mario Brothers just because that's all video games could aspire to in terms of yeah. being adapted. And, and yeah. if but you I like, mean, I, I would argue. Wanted. 
I would argue Mortal Kombat was a bit more ambitious, but yes. it's still a very solid B movie. Yes. They, they yeah. know what they have. Yes. The thing is, the producers wanted to go dark. They went to Nintendo and said, you know how Batman is dark? You know how Teenage Mutant yeah. Ninja's is, Turtles is dark? We're going to be dark, too. And Fuck. we'll get the adults in, you know, people who were playing your game uh, in 1985 as teenagers and are now in college. They'll want to come see this darker version. And, and then they started making the darker version. And as they were about $25, $30 million into the production, uh, Nintendo started to get cold feet and was like, no, we need to make it more child friendly. And that's why we get this weird mishmash of a movie because it is trying to be dark. Okay. Mm -hmm. If, if you removed all Super Mario Brothers references, right. from that, this that's film, always been my statement was, on the film. If this was called anything else, it would be worth remembering and like kind of like, ooh, what an what an interesting world they've created here. <laughs> okay. old, old man yells at cloud. Corporate films were less corporate in the 1990s. Okay. You could have yeah. more weirdness. You could have them go, ah, this billion dollar IP that's selling globally. Let's give it to the guys who did Max Hedrum and let them build a cyberpunk dystopian future where it's an urban hellspank. Hellscape. Yeah, with a, hellscape. with a reptilian villain who is also Donald Trump. But we're going to show all this attention to creating our own detail until the end where he just pulls out a painted retail super scope. <laughs> holy shit like oh, why that detail this because I, budget cuts because they went over mm -hmm. there was going to be an epic huge colossal fight against tyrannosaurus bowser but by the time they got time to film it it was like we have no more money and faith had been Just shaken get, yeah because the, the directors are, are finally talking because you know people i do admire this movie being loved by people but it <laughs> I think no, my, no, my, that's I. So much of that, that sort of love. I think a lot of it, a huge amount of that, is nostalgia. People saw this as a little kid when you have no filter and you can't tell if something's good or bad, and, and it just. But clicks. it's it's not. I don't. And there is something, and there is something, but there's a smaller group that does admire it because it is very strange. Right, and I, I think it is very. We're strange. we're talking about the modern the modern internet, and I think people have embraced this because they're sick of seeing people kick it in the dick for like it is still like a minor triumph in terms of world building, just not in the right world. But I still have to... Oh, come on, Chris. World that's I'm, ugly. I'm, look, boring. I'm with you. I, I believe Michael cut out my line when we had to talk about it. Like, are people saying this is a... The, the 1993 Super Mario Brothers movie is technically better than some revenge porn, but it is not a good movie. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is... It is... It is... It is the it, opposite of a good movie, but I do understand. It does have the same cinematographer as Road Warrior and uh, Dances with Wolves. But but you know what I'm talking and about, Diana. What like he gets to do be indoors. People people embrace. Bob Hopkins is a great actor. He yeah. was so amazing, and he was pitch perfect casting. He is the perfect guy to play Mario in night. Oh, appropriation by that Welsh motherfucker taking our jobs. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but you know you know who was in the running. Dustin Hoffman and um no Tom Hanks Tom Hanks would have been a great Mario oh. he agreed to be in this and then oh. Nintendo got cold feet because they didn't think he had the dramatic skill <laughs> to pull off the adult movie they were going for what a timeline that would be because 
Tom Hanks was pretty low in 1993. I mean, you've got the Burbs, Bonfire, the Vanities. He was, it's he not was, a high time for he's him. He's a dependable, a Super he's Mario a dependable bomb. mid-budget comedy guy. Uh, yeah, but not you a give movie him the star. Super Mario bomb. I think we miss out on a lot of Tom Hanks. Yeah, he's not a he's I, not a movie think, star until the end of this year. Timeline, based on the timeline, that means he probably skipped Philadelphia. Right. Yeah. We'd have Bob Hoskins <laughs> in Philadelphia winning an Oscar and, and then Forrest Gump <laughs> oh. the next year. Oh god. Okay. Yeah, but this movie you is terrible and into, Yeah, go ahead. How chaotic the production was. The producers forbid the directors from, from yeah. speaking to the writers who were writing new lines on an hourly basis right. for this film. The actors refused to learn their lines until a few hours before filming because they changed too much. Mm-hmm. Every day they'd get new dialogue and they were just like, I'm not learning this until it's again, time to film. What are you supposed to write? You built a mall-sized spiked set covered in fungi. By, by the way, it's uh, the production design is amazing, but like the whole thing looks... Thoroughly unappealing, which no Mario game really ever did. It's so gross and disgusting in a world you don't want to be in. I don't get it. I I appreciate it. Looks like probably uh, the only name on the written by credits I recognize is Ed Solomon, who I'm guessing they brought in for Punch Up. He wrote another movie this episode, (laughs) and we're going to talk about him. I think he did a lot of Punch Up on that one too. But you know, he's uh, he's the Bill and Ted movies is coming off of, and yeah, he's good at putting things sort of back together so they make some sort of sense sort of and then throwing in some jokes but i think what i was trying to explain this was a colossal bomb nintendo kind of washed its hand of hands of it i'm not sure like if it has an official dvd blu-ray release they were always like 10 years only in europe yeah they're like they're like 10 to 20 years after like the height of that medium it has been a like a thrown away film Fans have taken it upon themselves to restore deleted scenes through collection uh, and f- do 4K okay. remasters. And this like- is what I do for you, listeners. I watched the uncut version wow. of Super Mario Brothers. Wow. Yeah. Gross. And not doing that. I watched the Rift Track version wow. of Super <laughs> Mario Brothers, which is the only way to watch this film, by the way. I uh, I watched that with my wife. We laughed the whole time through. It's a fantastic Rift Tracks movie. The unedited version it's 20 minutes longer so it, it's oh, substantial it's it's significant mm-hmm. but there's a much darker film in that unedited version mm-hmm. you know the dance scene the producers hired actual strippers for that dance scene in their nintendo movie Woo. and there's some kind of erotic shots of them in the uncaught version where you're like wow exactly that's that's good fetish photography for a nintendo film this is uh just the wrong way to adapt everything everything is wrong with it and i i like the idea that people have rescued this like it looks like homer simpson's body at the bottom of the critical gorge and people are like the same way people end up loving ed wood Except, you know, at least he made movies cheaply with his friends. Uh, yeah. This should have known you, better. You can feel the handcraftedness of an Ed Wood yeah. movie, whether he intends you to or not. This does feel like so many cooks in the yep. kitchen all working against each other. It's like a parody. writers. It's like a parody of a gritty reboot. Mm-hmm. Like, just do the gritty reboot. But no, we're going to, like, we don't know. Or maybe if, like, two crews were working simultaneously on two completely different movies, and then they just sort of shuffled them together. It's... At least Dennis Hopper looks like he's having fun slash is high. Monkey! Yeah. Uh, it's This is all bad. 
I'm trying to move us along just because we have so much Uh, to talk about. Uh, But there was tons of drinking on set on this film. Yeah, Bob Hoskins and Leguizamo just getting hammered to get through it all. Because I'm sure it was both hot and cold at the same time. In its favor, this film had the best looking and most realistic dinosaurs that had ever appeared in cinema a record it would hold for two weeks. Yeah, practically. It would hold that pra- record for two weeks. Practically. For those two weeks, best looking dinosaurs in all of cinema history. I'll say that. Look at Yoshi and look at every dinosaur before this film and tell me Yoshi isn't he- the best dinosaur. Why is Yoshi scary? Why is he a scary dog? <laughs> instead, of, Why is he a scary dog instead of a cuter horse? That's that's what Yoshi should be. But no complaints in the toad category. By all means, have a tortured and imprisoned uh, toad <laughs> turned into Mojo <laughs> turned into a hulking Frankenstein. This movie is wrong on every single fucking level. But I'm glad we didn't get one of the original ones. So, mm-hmm. Diana, mm-hmm. one of the writers, 11 writers for this film, was oh, the same man who wrote uh, Rain Man. And in his script, Luigi was going to be special needs. Wow. Oh, no. (sighs) No. What? No. Can that guy only do one thing? (laughs) Who is that for? Uh, It worked for me in Rain Man. Why don't I bring it over to the Mario Brothers movie? I I can't think of what his logic was other than that. Uh, This is what I'm known Uh, for. You hired, (laughs) when you hire Rain Man writer, you get Rain Man writer. But as part of the uh, wonderful uncut version, uh, I do have a clip that I feel the the need, no, the duty to share with the world. The cut rap number (laughs) from Super Mario Brothers, the movie. You realize what I'm saying? You ever get the feeling you're an automatic pilot? You're going through the motions like waves in the ocean? That life is a series of brainless notions, and you want to feel something more than empty emotions. Well, we met two plumbers. Who had an idea. They showed us the light. And the new frontier. Mario. And Luigi. They know us right. We got to take a stand and put up a fight. Well, stop. And think think this through. through. It's time to get rid of you You know who. Wow. It's the guy who stole Ferris Bueller's car talking (laughs) to the guy who... (laughs) I'm just trying to come up with a secession connection here because both Alan Ruck and Fisher Stevens are on, yeah, on secession right now. Anyway, th- that is incredible. Holy shit, I've never heard anything with so little, a rap song with so little bass. Oh, everything is wrong with the Super Mario Brothers movie, and it is fascinating. And, and that's as far as a recommendation as, like, if you've never, it's very hard to enjoy. I yeah. will 100% recommend watching this with Rift Tracks. 100%. It's the perfect bad movie. My wife had never seen it before, and the whole time she was going, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> like, like <laughs> Carnosaur had, had yeah. fewer what the fuck, did they run out of money here moments than the Super Mario Brothers movies does. Like, it, it just, it's so, it's so wrong. It's so wrong, I'm glad it happened. Because uh, people, seriously, people shouldn't, people know so much better how to make a movie now. This could never happen again. Uh, anyway, moving on to a movie that might be worse. Um, we got we got Will Smith, Nia Long, Ted Danson, Whoopi Goldberg in Made in America. 
17 years ago, this man and this woman shared an intimate experience. I was artificially inseminated. Without ever meeting each other until now. You're white. <laughs> what do you mean he's white? <laughs> My dad. Whoopi Goldberg, Ted Danson. Yeah, it's a white man at the door. Made in America. Yeah, I read black authors, you know. Will Chamberlain book changed my life. Rated beach. It's a good line uh, for a pretty bad movie. <laughs> what an odd movie this is. I really was expecting is. like the dumbest race comedy of all time. And I was shocked how little race they is in the race comedy. Never, ever. Like, and I was only thinking of that because the director is Diana. Richard Benjamin. Richard Benjamin, director of one of your favorite movies. My favorite year. Famous uh, movie actor who's also in You People, which takes, uh, that movie I'll give a ton of credit to, it takes the most saccharine formula romantic comedy plot, but really mixes in a race conversation. Whereas this should have been at the forefront. Well, actually, what I read, the fascinating thing was this movie was not written to be about an interracial couple. It was just about a girl who finds out her... she comes from artificial insemination and learning who her dad is. Once Whoopi Goldberg was cast, that aspect was written into it. Mm. Isn't, isn't it a little odd? I mean, couldn't you kind of tell if the donor was white? No. No? Not I all the time. Really, I mean, yeah, I think the casting is pretty good that Nia Long is, has lighter skin, but is not light-skinned, you know? Um, and yeah, Whoopi Goldberg has darker skin, and... You know, there's there's variations in range amongst yeah. folks. And the, if, so, you haven't, yeah. if you haven't seen the end of the movie, like I did, because it happened to be on Netflix and I was going to play Zelda for six hours, it is revealed at the end that Ted Danson is not actually the father. He, yeah. Oh. It, he is not that. actually the father. But uh, but it's it, it does run the gamut between like, oh, this is a very interesting situation to like, Ted Danson's being electrocuted by a bear. Whackity, schmackity. <laughs> it's like, it's so, I've never seen him do slapstick to this level. Yeah, and, it's it's less about, hey, it turns out your dad is white, than, hey, it turns out your dad is an embarrassing car dealer <laughs> who makes dumb ads on TV. And you think, like, he's a southern-talking cowboy on television, and now he's my white cowboy dad. And it's almost never, a, the biggest conflict in one of the silliest sequences Whoopi Goldberg and Ted Danson start making out. The daughter comes home like, how dare you? This is supposed to be about me finding my father. And you make it about you and like, shut up. Like, if you cared at all, like, about your mother or your dad, you'll get more of them this way. Hooray. Yeah, no, actually, I thought she kind of had a point where it's like, you're going to break up with him, though. And once you break up with him, that now I'm That's a child true. of non-divorce. <laughs> That's true. But they don't talk but, about yeah. her romantic history in a way where, like, Whoopi Goldberg, she doesn't need a man in her life, it seems, and she hasn't been bad, unlucky in love in her life. She, her husband died and she was sad. That was it. Yeah. And that's it. And I I was so disappointed that like they have her own, like an African themed book and gift store. Yeah. And they make gags out of that, but never have a gag of like, what does it mean to be black if you find out your dad is white? Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't fucking matter. Never comes up. But. I found out this movie cost about $22 million. It made a ton of money. It made a ton of money, except it cost Ted Danson $30 million because he started an affair with Whoopi Goldberg on this set. Right. But he was married to someone else for 16 years. Right. And that cost him all that Cheers money. (laughs) And I was going to say, in a few months, 
Ted Danson will appear at his girlfriend's roast in full blackface. Yep. Saying the end, like he served, he not only survived that kind of scandal and it was scandalized more so than like any other kind of black. Cause he really went crazy far. Uh, if Cheers was still on, that would have ended. <laughs> that like that's how bad it was, and there's still no recording of it. I lo- I looked. Yeah, uh, no, there, there's pictures, and there's people who've said and, what happened, and he doesn't um, talk about it, and he doesn't. Talk, I like, don't fucking that's blame the him. Smartest teeth thing he could do. <laughs> yeah, but oh, he, the weird thing it stars. It's mostly in the beginning, starring starring Nia Long with her friend zoned. <laughs> friend uh will smith are they concurrent are they concurrently playing boyfriend and girlfriend on fresh prince maybe (laughs) i try i i don't know why will smith was there like he doesn't really do anything except you know end up at a sperm bank so we can make a couple jokes about that he does watered down will smith shit that's still like good but because it's this movie is not funny but his Mm -hmm. talent is like shit it's like it's less than a year before Will Smith's name goes like zoop up above the title after Independence Day. But uh, I, I, that's the only reason I saw this movie, because I loved Will Smith, uh, because I heard he was in this. I watched Six Degrees oh. of Separation as a child. That's oh. not something you should have done if you love Fresh Prince music. No. <laughs> it's Mm-mm. a different kind of role. No, but we do have a theme for the episode, which is maybe this should have had more Will Smith in it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this movie's terrible. It was 20 years. If you grew up on HBO, it was on constantly. And it is a cheesecake comedy that is almost two hours long. Mm. So it's just, it's just bad. And, but like, I don't know. Just because I have so many notes for it. This is the kind of movie you remake. Like, uh, how do you all of a sudden end up mixing uh, families, ethnicities like that? Where like that, that should have been, which is what you people is about. Like how do how do we yeah. get these people to get along? There's never that kind of conversation in this movie. Never, no. ever, ever. I yeah, no, I think Made in America was like the, it's like the gentlest bad comedy I've ever seen. Where it's like, I'm not, I'm not angry at it. Mm-hmm. A lot of the comedy is really broad and stupid, but it's not the broad and stupid that I thought I was going to get into. Right. It was more Ted Danson is dressed like a ridiculous cowboy and on top of an elephant, stupid. But vintage Berkeley looked good. Yeah. Went into Jokelin in there. They shot on location. I was recognizing yeah, places. Yeah, beautiful. Looks pretty good. I saw so, Ro- yeah. Roger Ebert said, this is the furthest thing from a great movie, but it is a very kind, good movie yeah, underneath it's very itself. Ge- well, they have great chemistry. Surprise, yeah. surprise, of course, because <laughs> they was fucking. So they have adorable chemistry. Like, they are fun to watch. Just nothing. <laughs> There's just nothing here. There's nothing here. It's counter-programming ever, to the action movie. They didn't did they get ever team up? What? Like after this? Oh, uh, I don't think Ted so. Danson, Whoopi? Uh, no. Apparently, it was a it was a bad breakup. Wh- mm. Whoopi Goldberg mm. has talked about like I'm friends with most of my exes except for Ted Danson. Like, what? You're gonna shun handsome Frankenstein? God damn. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna keep saying that till it catches on. And then finally, uh, number one movie at the box office, Janine Turner, the youngest Michael Rooker I feel like I've ever seen, and I've seen Sea of Love, and <laughs> uh, John Lithgow, Sylvester Stallone. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Cliffhanger. They stole $100 million in midair and lost it. Now, to get it back... Recognize these locations? They'll make one man a hostage. You're not going after him. And the other... 
a moving target. Cliffhanger, rated R. Ooh, this this is like the dullest, most extravagant action movie I've ever seen in my life. Because they wow. they clearly go there and like shoot on all these cliff sides and mountain faces, but it's so dull. Like you'll get it's more exhilarating to watch Free Solo. Uh, I don't think it's dull. I think it's dumb. It's very it's dumb. It's real, real dumb. It's Die Hard on a Mountain, everybody. <laughs> but it's Rennie Harlan who did Die Hard 2, who mm-hmm. knows how to shoot action. It's got some beautiful set pieces. Just yeah. the opening is fan- like, Dude. please start giving stunt Oscars, you assholes. I read, uh, uh, there's, if you know the history of Carlico Pictures, the people who, they're not Golan Globus, but they're close. But they're they're like bankrupt in two years. But they basically had to give up almost the entire ownership of this movie to get it financed because it went so fucking over budget. Uh, this is kind of their last hurrah, and I totally forgot where I was going with that. Ah, shit. Well, I can see why it went over budget because they had the oh, most expensive stunt of that's all what it time was. in this film. It is the stunt man who travels from one plane to another plane was paid. One million dollars. One million dollars, and I love that aspect of it. So double that in today's money because of how fucking it was. It's. I know we've all seen the Dark Knight Rises, but it's that like twenty years earlier with a lot less, (laughs) less stunt equipment going on, and it is a guy go like transferring on a wire from plane to plane midair, fifteen thousand feet, and they don't fake it. And they don't fake a lot of stuff in this. I was even I was really shocked. <laughs> Do yourself a favor and go look up Cliffhanger behind the scenes. And I love outfits that root things in a time. And nothing roots <laughs> this in a time more than Sylvester Stallone's outfit because he's dressed like Judge Dredd the whole time he's talking <laughs> about Cliffhanger <laughs> in the behind the scenes. So okay. little delight I, for Stallone. I gotta fans. disagree that it's a boring movie though. i've never uh, liked this movie no Watch this i don't think it's boring i think it's dumb i, I agree it's 100 yeah. percent dumb but but fun chris, dumb fun dumb chris have mm. you ever gone rock climbing without a rope free soloing no jr and here's where you say you have <laughs> so <laughs> me, me and my good friend glenn allen in portland were hiking along a trail one day and we saw a little path, and we went, that looks cool. Let's go on that trail. We go up the uh, trail. It starts winding a little, and then it comes to a little rock. Okay, we've got to climb over this. And then the rock starts getting steeper, and we're like, this is still a path, right? I think so. So we climb a little more, and then we're just flat out, just free soloing it up this rock face. And we see the up, 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 up. And I turn to Glenn, and I say, Glenn, I'm not 18 anymore. Mm. Are you 18 anymore? And he goes, nope. (laughs) And then we very slowly and super carefully worked our way down with much, much more care than we climbed. And (laughs) the sheer terror, it's it's a low-key terror because you're not in immediate danger, but you're hanging onto a rock. And if you just go, what if I let go? You will fall all the ways, all the ways you will fall. And it's this low-key tension the entire time. And they do an amazing job in this film of putting you on a mountain. Uh, I'll never forget that experience with Glenn. I was just like, I am aware of my own immortality. I am not a young kid anymore. I can't do stupid stuff. And this film 
puts me in that mindset because they're doing it. They are up there. I mean, I, I'm going for an old man yells at cloud record in this episode because this could never be made today. It would be CGI not. and you could tell the fakeness and they wouldn't have them all up there the way they did in this. And that to me is enough of a draw. And I think, Chris, you and I mm -hmm. have the exact same argument that Siskel and Ebert had 30 years ago. Oh, let's hear it. <laughs> alone up there because they use a telephoto lens and i got a feeling of vertigo i got a feeling of involvement and fear and the movie did roger work it worked roger that stuff is stunt work I, it, 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 that's I a don't stunt. care it's I mean, not a story it's not a story tell, uh, it's not a you story. don't like any movie that uses stunt work no, you no, just no. said you liked die hard too that yes. was stunt work too in yes. fact you know what no, no. that wasn't a real building let me or whatever roger, let me explain something the first die hard. Wait Never mind. Okay. i said that's stunt work they don't have a story die hard 2 had a story i don't care i don't care <laughs> i really <laughs> I, i'm not totally i'm not totally it's just that like um i've seen a lot better mountain climb. I, I made sure I made it a point to watch the behind the scenes because like there are some outdoor places that are clearly sets and some there's like, is that a set? Because that seems way too dangerous. And the behind the scenes are like, no, nah, it's one of the reasons they wouldn't make the movie today. They're helicoptering a crew up to all these random cliff faces for these different, just a different shot of people talking. Uh, it, yeah. It's, it was a very, it looked like a very dangerous set to be on. And, Ooh, and I'm, I'm sure it was. And yeah, it looks, looks gorgeous. They're out in the Italian Dolomites and uh, <laughs> not, not that Dolomite <coughs> damn Dolomite, but uh, I mean, so Stallone has hit a Rocky point in his career, not a Rocky point, but a bad Ugh. point where things are not going great. We've had a couple bombs in a row with him. He co-writes this, which is not surprising because anytime there's a dialogue scene, you feel like they're just reading it off of cards because the, it, the plot is so basic and so dumb. I feel bad because I lost a girl up there. I'm mad at you because you lost a girl up there. Oh, no, I have to go up there. You better not go up there. I have to go up there to stop the bad guy who is John Lithgow. I feel like this is actually the height of British bad guys because John Lithgow is not British. Yes. Why is he British in this? Because it makes it sound even so yeah a bunch of suitcases full of money it just got dropped onto this mountain and then like the mountain climbing team it's like the good mountain climbers have to fight the bad mountain climbers basically it's so so dumb but it's always at least exciting or it's pretty it always looks good and that's why i say it's it's elaborate and worthy of praise but like from the moment this movie came out to when i watched it yesterday I have never found anything to love in this movie. Um, yeah. No, not really. Not really. No. And I, I love Rennie Harlan. He made one of my I favorite Nightmare on Elm Streets. Michael Rooker's character, like he totally got that woman killed. Yeah. Yes. Where he's like, hey, untrained climber, want to go up on this mountain with me? It's like better than sex. And it's like, are you implying they were fucking up there? This buckle only has yes. one crack in yes. it. <laughs> That's how he hurt his leg. Mm. <laughs> Oof. Okay, but cliffhanger, right. cliffhanger, cliffhanger, like next to Jurassic Park, this is the most promoted movie of this year in my my comic book cartoon world. Uh, this was promoted so heavily. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted I mean, to you like could it. Make this as, you could make this with no dialogue and it would make as much sense. Like, you don't even need talking in this. Okay. It's, it's fun. They're climbing a mountain. They're going to get a guy. Oh, no, that turns out to be a bad guy. 
And let's move on to TV real fast. Cliffhanger, Made in America, Supermarket. These are all movies I organically saw multiple times during the 90s. So that's how big the summer is getting. Um, and then television, I'm much rustier on. Without warning, Terror in the Towers. Is this what I think it is? The 9-11 shot it's of Mario exactly Brothers? exactly what you think it is, wow. yes. The, uh, the original Attack on the Twin Towers uh, TV movie about that. So, Which was like not that long ago. But remember, we just had them uh, wrap a f- TV movie about Waco while the bodies were still simmering. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good point. Uh, this star- It's got a fun cast, though. It stars James Avery, Andre Brower, George Clooney, oh. and SAG president Fran Drescher. <laughs> wow, I'm in. I'm in all over again. I kind of want to watch it. Ooh, uh, also this week in television news, Major League Baseball's owners overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly approve of a, a six-year joint venture with ABC and NBC. The venture eventually dubbed the Baseball Network uh, displaces CBS as MLB, the Major League Baseball's primary network television package holder. Cool. Now there's like 600 games I don't have to watch a year that could be held in one place. Good for them. Yeah. Uh, Street Justice ends. That sounds like a great arcade game, but it's not. It's a show that began in 1991. Uh, it's about Adam and Grady. One's a straight-laced cop. The other's a street-smart martial artist. <laughs> Together, they fight crime. And that's literally what it is. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the street-smart martial artist is white, and the straight-laced cop is black, so it's deep. Wow. Uh, not the, gr- the, the And the most notable thing to happen on television, because I never stopped hearing about this for like what felt like years, Connie Chung begins co-anchoring the CBS Evening News with Dan Rather. Did David Letterman have a crush on Connie Chung or something? Because I feel like he brought her up all the goddamn time. a lot of people did. But she, yeah. I think for, and I could be wrong, I think she was, she had a fun name. And she was the most prominent Asian on American television, period. She's on every period, night. Yeah. The most watched. Yeah. Uh, it was, and, and, and for some people, it was kind of, you know, I don't know if there were serious news watchers, but I remember being semi-controversial. I, something I read about a while ago, why does Dan Rather need a co-host? And there was probably a bunch of producers who had a bunch of ideas. And I, I couldn't tell you. I don't really think I watched yeah. any of the news willingly while she was the anchor. Yeah. And there's still, besides there aren't a lot of, people of color there still aren't a lot of women yeah not especially in doing the evening news i think she might be the first one mm. and mm. literally like last week the new york times had a great article about why are so many asian girls named connie hey and, and it turns out it's because connie chung because you get a lot of you know first generation immigrant parents they come to the u.s they they decide you know they'll give their kid uh, a traditional name and then like a American name, quote unquote, and that's the only Asian woman on TV. That's the only Asian woman they see anywhere. So they're like, okay, Connie. Connie. People know that. Yikes! I didn't even think and about so, that. Yeah, there are a ton of Asian Connies out there. Mm. Good oh. for them. And it, it it was only like a two year stint, but uh, I think she was also either left or was fired abruptly. But like, I still remember this woman's name, and it's for two years of her contributions to pop culture. I don't know oh, anything she, else she she's had done. A, like a lot of interviews after she left. And she had she, she uh, did a lot of like new stuff on shows I would never watch, but like you know Today Show kind of stuff, Sunday shows uh, on networks. But yeah, she, yeah, she'd been in news for a long ass time. But she was in my like my parents were big Dan Rather fans, so 
I, I saw her every night for those two years. Anyway, yep. moving on to 1993, let's talk about some PC games that I have no knowledge of. Empire Deluxe, tell us what's up, JR. This was conceived in 1971. What? The regular Deluxe version was published in 1977. Eh? Yeah. Back when you had to like rent time from your uh, computer at your university, that's when the first version of this was published. Turn-based war game. Um, uh, you start they finance the themselves for like fifteen years. Like <laughs> the strength I, of that game, I don't know. Maybe it's I mean it, it. It it was. If you read the history of strategy games, Empire will come up. I mean, <laughs> they didn't call it Empire Two. They called it Deluxe. It, they weren't re- remaking the wheel here. Eric the Unready is also out on PC. Uh, so this is another text adventure game uh, from the same people that gave us uh, Spellcasting 301 uh, Spring Break. Um, <laughs> it tries to be uh, a comedic take on a fantasy world. Uh, Eric the Unready is based on Uthred. The unready, and they just kind of like the name. And he's a knight who's really, really bad at their jobs. Uh, this is this company switching from the Sierra model of every second move you will do will kill you to the LucasArts model of you can never die, you can never not win the game. <laughs> Fields of Glory, how is this not another sting song? I mean, war, war tactical <laughs> game. Uh, it's a real-time strategy game, uh, one of the earlier oh, ones in set in the Napoleonic times. And what I wish I would have played is Where in Space is Carmen Sandiego. That, like, Ooh. that is exponentially more room to look for Carmen Sandiego. <laughs> <laughs> well, we sent out the Voyager probe yes. <laughs> years ago, and we're sure she's not on past Pluto. Yeah, no sign of her on <laughs> Titan, sir. The probe. <laughs> What is she stealing out there? Gas? Like, uh, <laughs> I guess. Well, okay. We'll find out if she's in the Andromeda galaxy in about 17 years. Um, <laughs> that's the nearest it, one, too. It's going to take a while. It's 100% the exact same interface as where in the world is Carmen Day. Right. Carmen, mm-hmm. Carmen San Diego. And you go around, you ask clues, and then you have to look up your big book of space to see if she's there. Mm. And then a rare comic book news, but this is a big one. Marvel's Maximum Carnage uh, begins 30 years ago. You're about to pretend this is a bigger thing than Connie Chung. I'm, just, <laughs> I, I'm sitting here. Carnage is a... in, in, in Chris's Connie Chung erasure. I, I don't know why this is sitting badly with me, but why? it really is. I thought I gave her her due. You just insulted the woman. I did? I don't like anything she's ever done and she's not No, I don't know of anything she's ever done. Like, uh, What have I seen Connie Chung ever since? Why? Why why am I going to watch like a fucking interview with Newt Gingrich from 65 years ago? Because she was a serious journalist who was married to Maury Povich. Yes. Maury, I know. I think that was interesting. That that life has to be interesting. Who had the more, more, more important day? I reunited some families. How about you? Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, but yes, Diana. The more important story is Maximum Carnage. Carnage uh-huh. is the dumbest Spider-Man villain of all time. Yes. It's Edge Lord <laughs> '90s going. What if Venom, but, but no character, just killing? <laughs> eh? Because eh? he doesn't. His name's Cassidy something, and he likes to kill people, and that's it. 
That is the only thing about his character. Played by Woody Harrelson in the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. So bad. later. So dumb. Uh, yeah, but but was very popular and got a video game not too long after that in a cool red Which card. was the first video game to ever directly adopt adapt a comic storyline. Yeah, man. Really? It's neat, right? Mm-hmm. Now you're back in. Music 1993. <laughs> uh, what is it? May 26th through, is it June 1st? Are we on June 1st? Uh, yeah, uh, That's the Way Love Goes by Janet Jackson is still number one, but look at these new releases we have here, like uh, Chameleon by Halloween. Everybody loves Halloween. Uh, How to Clean Everything, the debut of Propagandi. Wow. Uh, Bosses, am I saying that right? By Mercury Rev. Uh, Gravity's Rainbow by Pat Benatar. Hootie Mac by Bill Biv DeVoe. Sav Locky by Slow Drive and All Samples Cleared by Bismarck. <laughs> what a great yeah, title. Yeah, we didn't talk about it when he... He got sued over the uh, alone against naturally samples. So I love that his answer is my next album is called All Samples Clear. But we're going to close out of this segment with I Have Nothing by Whitney Houston because it's on the charts this week. Don't go away because there's a lot more to talk about 10 years from now. I won't hold it back again. This passion inside can't run from myself. There's no Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? Then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com slash laser time. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the Laser Time network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. Today we're going to be covering the Brian De Palmer film, Blowout. Yep. And I've heard yeah. of Brian De Palma. I didn't have a sense of him as a filmmaker. That's if, if okay. you said, "What's a Brian De Palma film?" I'd be like, "I know the name." Your lifetime yeah. has I, been in largely Brian De Palma work for hire stuff. Has okay? Yeah. Did he also do Scarface? Yes. Or my yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. okay. And the Untouchables. I I run very hot and cold with De Palma. Like oh, I've yes. seen a lot of his movies and. When he's good, he's really, really good. And when he's bad, it is unwatchable. Uh, and okay. sometimes you get the best of both worlds and you call that movie Body Double. Uh, yeah. But otherwise, you... <laughs> he, I love he, he, Body Double. Get Bonus Time, a weekly uncensored and commercial-free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just $5 on Patreon.com slash LazerTime. Smile, I don't want to see you cry. Got some questions that I gotta ask, and I hope you can come up with the answers, baby. Girl, it's easy to love me now. Would you love me if I was down and out? Coming into 2003 with 21 questions by 50 Cent featuring Nate Dogg, RIP. It is number one this week, uh, 20 years ago. Welcome. Uh, to May 26th through June 1st, 2003. Other new music releases include. Uh, Promise by Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah, Earth, Wind, Fire. Still putting albums out. Uh, I think my neighbor just played with them. Uh, Transform by Power Man 5000. They're still alive. Vicious Cycle by Leonard Skinner. They're still alive. What is Broken is Easily Fixed, the debut of Silverstein. Um, 
Silverstein, yeah. Falling Uphill by Lilix, In Between Now and Then by OAR, uh, Leaving a Whisper, uh, Leave a Whisper, the debut of Shinedown, the self-titled debut of Rooney, Roar Back by Sepultura, and So Much for the City by The Thrills. A little bit of news from 20 years ago. You may or may not remember the People's Republic of China begins filling the reservoir behind the Three Gorges Dam. What? Ooh, that's a big dam. I don't remember. I do not remember this. Um, yes. And then it's, uh, it's a gigantic fucking dam along the Yangtze, which is good because uh, they have had flooding along the Yangtze that has killed like literally millions of people over time. Mm. But uh, also to build this giant fucking reservoir, they buried a huge amount of land, including like some archaeological sites and some villages and mm. kind of fucked with the local ecology really bad. <laughs> I'm sure they have a, a splendid way of dealing with eminent domain over in the People's Republic uh, of China. Get out or we shoot you. Yeah. It works for them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Angelina Jolie, Billy Bob Thornton, <gasps> divorce. They were married way back, way, way back in 2003. So. Oh, <laughs> God. I think they, they were in the... I think they, they were in the process happy. of adopting a kid at the time, too. I think that she finished the adoption, and it was like, oh, they were, it was really uncomfortable seeing them, like, all the time, just fucking in public. Yes. Uh, well, they were high together, right? Is that the clip I'm thinking of at the Oscars? They're like... I think the MTV Awards. Um, yeah, <laughs> we just fucked like, in the car. We yeah, carried each other. exactly. It was like, oh, God, please stop. And uh, a little bit of news... Yeah, but I, Chris, if, if you were fucking Angelina, yeah, Jolie, I'd, prob- I'd never stop talking. You'd about probably it. mention it in every interview. Guys, guess what I just did on my honeymoon with Angelina Jolie. You'll never, all right, uh, never stop talking about it. Uh, and I just wanted to point it out because uh, I had air on the brain, saw air. It seems like 20 years ago, around this time, Nike signs a high school player named LeBron James. And it turns out that gamble <laughs> pretty much worked because I think just a few weeks ago he signed another record suit. I, I really like that movie Air, by the way. Uh, and That's what I've heard. They uh, show how the, that, that deal in general paved the way of not just having athletes endorse a product, but to become the product. It's named after you and you get a cut for the rest of your life as long as this product exists. And uh, mm-hmm. that made Michael Jordan more money than the NBA ever did. So wow. we'll see how it shakes out for LeBron. It looks like close to a billion dollars right now. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, over the course of however long his contract is. Moving on to the movies of 2003. 20 years ago, um, what is it, May 26th through June 1st. First up, we got Wrong Turn by Emmanuel uh, Chiqui. Uh, Chiqui? I don't know. Chiqui. Jer- Jeremy Sisto, Elijah Dushku, Desmond Herring- and Desmond Harrington in Wrong Turn. Wrong Turn. It's not quite zombie redneck torture family. (laughs) It's cannibal redneck torture family with a cabin in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. We're done. (sighs) Yeah. Uh, It's it's part of a genre in horror films where it's, you know, if you go to the wrong spot, you can die. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that speaks to a pretty primal human fear because, you know, in our long tribal uh, hunter-gatherer ancestors, if they went to the wrong area, they would absolutely die, mm-hmm. 100%. They were always skirmishing with each other. So it was, go the wrong area, you die. I think that's just worked into us as humans. And it's I never get like fearful being alone at night. Lived in a city, 
never once had a fear for my life. Something about just being alone in the woods and just that, oh, I, I don't like it. I don't like it. I almost know why you people buy so many guns. Uh, yeah, wrong turn. I did not see it. But I did see for the first time the next movie, which I had not seen before. Frankie G, Mose Def, Jason Statham, Seth Green, Donald Sutherland, Edward Norton, Charlie's Theron, and of course, Mark Wahlberg, The Italian Job. The heist was perfect. Go. The only threat was the one they never saw coming. There's nowhere you can go we won't find you. On May 30th. Took my father from me. I'm taking this. They're not in it for the pay. Just blew the element of surprise. Surprise? They're in it. I don't do, dog. What happened? I had a bad experience. For the payback. What happened to my truck? No, it's just never about the gold. Whatever helps you sleep at night, sweetheart. The Italian job. Yeah! the Holy Spirit. With PG-13. Oh, I always heard this was fun, and it is. No, you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors bloody off. Doors off. Yes. <laughs> Shout out to the Michael Caine original. I know but, I saw now, him this week, but it wasn't in this movie, right? Yeah. Mm. Now, so this was tough for me because I love the 1969 t- Italian job. That movie is so fucking fun. Mm-hmm. I watched and, that for the first time. Ooh, oh, did you? Yes. Loved it. Yeah. I am going to, is it in Classic Corner? No, no. I could throw okay, it in then, there. Well, whatever you want, but I will absolutely recommend that. Uh, if you say you don't like old movies, watch that up there with the Great Escape, where it's like, wow, they could really keep these older movies humming along and zooming from place to place with a lot of great scenes. And yeah, I love that one. I was like, okay, uh, twenty yeah. minutes, click. No, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I got, one, I, I got major. They, Major if like they, F- Fast and the Furious one and two is out, but mm-hmm. it's not the Fast one. Six oh, we talked only about. One. Only one, I think. so the I it's think not two coming up. It's not yeah. the Fast yeah. Six we talked about, but this is that. And F. Gary Gray, the director of this, would go on to direct Fast Eight, a totally fucking great addition to the series. But this is like a very respectable, dare I say, kind of classy, old school uh, robbery film. I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah I was pleasantly surprised because yeah i went in and i was like oh but i love the original so much and it's not going to have as much humor and what the uh, i'm watching like if they had just changed the title i would have been in if they didn't pretend that this is ermy because it's barely it 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 has the title it's got a heist and it's got three minis okay that's it the original thing that connects it well the the movie itself is in the remake when uh, they're watching television, uh, the Italian job, the original film, appears on television, despite Mark Wahlberg also having the same name. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe he was named after that film. Wait, what? Maybe. Is that the name of a character in the original Itali- Italian job? Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah. yeah. Is it wow. Mr. and Mrs. Croker decided to keep naming the kids Charlie after the movie? guess so yeah if they just pretended it had nothing to do with anything then i would have enjoyed it a lot more because yeah it's it's pretty old-fashioned heist movie uh its pacing was a little uneven but it, it was generally okay it was so much better than i expected i really expected yeah i sitting there seething i know the i'd always heard that because it, it maybe that's the problem is my expectations were low no, no, I, I think if you compare it to other action movies at the time like this is very coherently shot and like it's pretty much all practical effects like the only thing that that oh, hamper, hampers it is the speed through which mini coopers move because i'm guessing the first one didn't have a, a giant chase sequence through los angeles 
because no. it's these slow, clearly slow-moving vehicles in the wide-open space of LA. I'm sure seeing those things barrel through Europe had a different experience. Well, it's the reason they use Mini Coopers in the original is they're so tiny they can get into the sewers. Wow. The original Minis are so tiny compared to modern Minis that it actually makes sense. Modern Minis are just very small cars. Mini Coopers are like the size of two bicycles taped together. <laughs> and Sounds so like, it, it was really creative and fun and interesting. And that whole sequence is great. And this one is sort of like, it's like they're contractually obligated to do it, but it doesn't yeah. fit anymore. So why I, bother? I, if we have to imagine why they made this movie, you got to wonder like, eh, Minnie's going to fork over a couple million. Okay, let's <laughs> greenlight this one over the other car movies we have. Uh, yeah, but, that's but, true. But it's, it's not terribly funny. And I'm like, oh, Mark Wahlberg's going to say a bunch of stupid shit. I'm like, cool, he barely talks. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, most Def has the funniest lines, funnier than Seth Green. Uh, it's odd that Jason Statham is both in this and the Fast series. But it, mm. in, in terms of shooting a, like, a high-stakes chase movie, like uh, where, car, where hundreds of millions of dollars on the line of a car chase, this is great. <laughs> this is a great. I can't wait to see Fast X. I'm going tomorrow. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I, maybe I'm just totally pumped for that stuff, having revisited Fast a couple times over the last few weeks. But I thought this was much better than I expected. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I can see why so many people, so many people have told me like, no, it's actually pretty good. Yeah, it's very competently done. Want to see F. Gary? Why did he do more fast movies? This is a proto fast five and onward movie that came out years before that. Don't know why he wasn't uh, on the short list to do it beforehand. But let's. But does not, it does not stand up to the original, the one though. Sure. (laughs) I I feel bad for JR if you're going to back to back them because yeah. I was trying and I just, I don't know. Maybe I got my fill. I mean. The original one, oh, the Amalfi Coast. I mean, mm. that is such a place. You drive on it, and it is so scary, okay? You're driving along these tiny, tiny little lanes, and you really feel like you could fall over at any times. And, oh, the original one is just perfect. Yeah. And, um, yeah, let's get out of the way of the – this is the counter-programming to the other movie, which uh, from a studio on a roll, you probably never get it from the <laughs> – from the cast, Barry Humphreys, Andrew Stanton, Stephen Root. Oh, I love Barry. Uh, Allison Janney, Brad Garrett, Willem Dafoe, Alexander Gould, Ellen Generous, uh, and Albert Brooks. An Albert Brooks starring movie is number one over the Italian job because yeah. it is also <laughs> Finding Nemo. Fish. <laughs> there I go. They're just like us. <laughs> Only flakier. Find a happy place. Find a happy place. Find a happy place. And on May 30th... We're looking for Nemo! One of them is missing. Fish are friends, not food. Hop inside my mouth if you want to live. Walt Disney Pictures presents a Pixar Animation Studios film. Coming Nemo! Pity. Finding Nemo, Witty G. Finding Nemo, are we all fans or are we not? hundred percent. I feel like the only argument is, is this Pixar's best movie or not? Yeah, I think that's the yeah. only way you can it's in talk the conversation. It. It's totally in the conversation. I I feel like I have nothing to say about it because it's just sort of flawless. And it's and I hope everyone loves it. It might be its most beautiful movie. I think in terms oh, of like so really cool. wanting colors to pop. Anytime I get a new TV, I throw on the latest version of Finding Nemo because I look through my collection. It turns out I bought it three times. And because I, I, I just, it's not my favorite Pixar movie, but it could easily consider it the perfect Pixar movie because it's got yeah. 
just enough for kids, just enough for adults. It doesn't seem to talk down or up to anyone. It's just super relaxing and beautiful to look at every single fucking frame. And it's heartfelt and wonderful. Uh, best yeah. depiction of the ocean in any film, period, up to 2003. Somebody needs to watch A Shark's Tale. Is that coming up? Uh, oh, no, 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 Finding Nemo is great. Here's my hot take on Finding Nemo. Everything but this movie involving these characters, I don't like. It's Disney ride is a, it's Epcot ride is among the worst I've ever seen. Disney do. I really did not like Finding Dory at all. And yeah. uh, I don't like what they did to the submarine ride in Disneyland. No, that's actually the most fine of all of them. But like, yeah, it, it, other than uh, most of the other Pixar characters, they kind of leverage into doing something else. And I've never liked anything else the Finding Nemo team does but hmm. uh, it's, it's also that example of like perfect Pixar casting like I don't think Ellen DeGeneres or Albert Brooks were on anybody's level of like we need a comedic lead <laughs> but they're perfect in this film perfect yep. if, if I don't I know had, how to do it yeah if I had a complaint it's that uh, idiot kids and idiot parents take the wrong message out of this and sales of clownfish and blue tangs for aquarium oh, yes. skyrocketed <laughs> even though the point of the movie is fish want to be in the ocean <laughs> not in the dentist's office I, I sort of know how they do it Jay. i believe the rumor is this is one of those movies that like uh I, they hinted it was jeffrey rush because he's got like a super small part in this film but he was uh marlin and they eventually said this isn't working. We're recasting. And Albert Brooks mm -hmm. is like the last minute addition to this movie. And it, it's like. Right. I thought it was William H. Macy like recorded most of it. Oh, it could have been like when I and heard. decided he was like too anxious and too edgy. I they needed someone softer. It's just an article I remember reading in like a fucking magazine where they're like, Pixar will confirm that they recast the part at the last minute, but they won't say with who. But all the rumors point towards Rush. because He's got a small. He's got a small, ah. small part in this movie, uh, as a you know. Well, he gave his, his, his something's better than nothing. <laughs> but uh, I love the turtle scene in this movie. I crush, mean, baby. I have swum with turtles, and you're next to them, and you see their eyes, and you feel like they are these wise creatures. You absolutely mm -hmm. get that feeling, and this movie does a great job with the turtles. It does a great job with a shark who is named Bruce. Yep. Yes. Mm. Why is he named Bruce Jr.? Because that's the name of the shark in Jaws. That's yeah. with the robot yeah. shark. So you texted me this, and I was like, about to tell you more about this. And then I pulled back, so I was like, save it for the show. Who voices Bruce? I don't mm -hmm. know. Barry Humphreys. He just passed away. You better know him as Dame Edna. Really? Oh, Dame Edna yep. was Bruce in this movie? Oh my God, Dame Edna, that dupe dupe voice. <laughs> That's Bruce the Shark. <laughs> wow, I did not know that. It's <laughs> the weirdest casting. And Crush, <laughs> the, the Crush, they're such cool characters. And if you've been to the Disney parks, they've really leaned into those characters. And some, have you seen? I'm sure you've seen it online, but like, they have a dynamic animation sequence where mm -hmm. you can do my a Q and A with, with Crush. They and loved it. Whoever does that is fucking hysterical. Uh, he's improvising oh, in the crush is Andrew Stanton, one of the filmmakers. Oh no, no, but in the in the live show at Disney. Oh, okay, at, yeah, because at... he's he's one of those where it's like I'll just do this temporary voice till we hire someone. Right. Actually, that's pretty perfect. We'll just leave it. Yeah, this is exactly how you wanted it anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know because 
that hot streak Pixar was on, everybody kept kind of waiting for it to end. And the way they they make their myth is that like they came up with all these ideas at the same meeting, like kind of before they started Toy Story. And this is like the second to last one. And yeah. I still think it's it's just it's just perfect. It's fucking perfect. Yeah. I mean, there's so many perfect Pixar moments. Mm-hmm. There's a moment in this film where the father has crossed the ocean all the adventures he's had and he finds what he thinks is the dead body of his son. And we, the audience know that's not true, but to him, his world has just ended and Pixar captures that amazingly. Yeah. You know, Uh, you know who Marlon is within five minutes of the start of the film and you empathize and sympathize with him and absolutely everything he does makes sense. There's not a moment out of character. Everything he does, you're like, well, of course you're doing that. Yeah. Yep. As, as, a, um, as a massive, massive Albert Brooks fan, he doesn't play anything like this ever. Like he is a lovelorn, wealthy guy, <laughs> or he is somebody somebody's robbing. Uh, <laughs> but he, I know, I think I said this about him in Drive too, but he's not the star. I, you'd never see this kind of performance out of him, and I don't. I just love that guy's. I love his voice, uh, and I, I just thought it was great casting. It, Pixar is so fucking good at that. Unbelievable. They are so ridiculously good at that. Also, to throw in, hey, some uh, representation for disability. What? Nemo's Nemo's got his lucky right. fin. <laughs> right. He's got one little misshapen fin, and does it slow him down? No. No. His dad's really worried about it slowing him down. He's okay, and and also that like. It's a road film, but it's also a great escape film. Mm-hmm. It's got kind of two simultaneous things going on, and both of them just click beautifully and have great characters along the way. Fucking Willem Dafoe in a kid's movie. Yeah. Absolutely <laughs> nailing it. There's, oh, my God. Everybody... I want there to be little kids to grow up and like, I love Willem Dafoe. I've got to watch Jesus Christ. <laughs> Does everybody else see a, I'm going to call them a group of seagulls so as not to evoke the 80s band name. And just go <laughs> go to their partner, Mike, Mike, Mike. That's the well, most accurate depiction of seagulls I have ever seen. <laughs> yeah, Mike. yeah. Again, God, it nails them. seagulls. It mm-hmm. nails sharks. It nails dolphins. It's it's a great sea film, and uh, I legit, in tough tough times of my life, have told myself. Just keep swimming. Mm-hmm. Just keep swimming. I mean, it's it's not good advice. Uh, during the <laughs> pandemic, I did see that posted a fair amount. Mm. Just keep swimming with a mask on? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so hard to even talk about Finding Nemo because we've all, everybody should have seen this. It's difficult to believe it's 20 years old. That's because yeah. like, it was one of the first things I got on 4K Blu-ray when I had that capability. And it doesn't look like it's aged a day. Other than the people. Which yeah. Pixar st- still steering clear of people. Like, we're not going to make a movie starring a bunch of people yet. Uh, still le- keeping it small. Uh, but yeah, it's difficult to go on about how much fun I think Finding Nemo is. And maybe that's my propensity for underwater stuff. Or you could even see this is a space movie and everyone's a colorful alien with no legs. Uh, it's <laughs> it's just awesome. Um, yeah. No, this, this is one that's like... Yeah, kind of the easiest recommend in the world, but also like if oh, yeah. you just remember it as being like, oh, it look like a cute movie for babies. No. Works great for adults. Yep. A lot of adult, I mean, not adult humor is an adult humor, but yeah, stuff that makes perfect sense. To it never talks down to its audience, ever. And I believe the sequel 
does to both. It talks down to both children and adults. I'm like, yeah, it's more. It feels more like a typical kid movie. I think it, it it tries too hard to pull adult heartstrings with a shitload of flashbacks because like, well, we're Pixar, we got to do this. And like, this is pretty lazy. This is. <laughs> and I didn't really care about Dory's backstory. Um, mm. Anyway, moving on to two thousand three TV, uh, a show I wish I'd watched, but man, uh, it's. Man, uh, Last Comic Standing, the reality show competition for com- comedians. Yeah. And uh, what a great idea. That's a fantastic idea. It's, it's, yeah. it's seems odd. like it took too long for them to get to. It seems like it's one of the first competition shows. To, I guess this is 2003 is kind of when we get the big pack of reality competition right. shows. Because American Idol's second season is just wrapped. 40 million people have watched it. If we get half of this for stand-up comedians, people will fall over themselves to get involved, and people will fall over themselves to advertise. <laughs> but it's it's kind of not a great venue for comedy, and like the winners people have a ton of issues with, typically, because it's never the comedian the comedians want, the people who like mm-hmm. stand-up comedy want. Uh, but uh, yeah, I never ended up... What clips of it... I have seen, and I, I like that we have a clip of, is this people talking about Norm MacDonald? Uh, talking about Norm and what they wish the show would have been. Because I think me. he's really good on the show. He he's really good on the show. Advice. He's good, but it was fascinating to see him like unfiltered, especially when he's t- they took out all the bad comics. Some of the funniest stuff on that show is when a bad comic comes up and the judges trash them, I'm trash, and I'm like, that was really fun, and that's all gone. They didn't want to embarrass anyone. So it's like the one reality show where they don't want the drama. And Norm was like borderline a monster to people. Like he would say things that would kill me, that I would be like on the floor dying laughing. Like I would have to take time. One of my favorites was he told this one girl, he told this one girl, uh, he said, uh, he, he just like, I, and she did fine. Like the, the other two judges really liked her. And this was, this was what would happen was like the other two judges would like, like the person, the crowd liked the person. And then Norm would just be like, I think you suck. And it would be like, everyone's like, I can't believe you're saying this. And I can't believe you're so against the other two judges. But so this girl, he says, uh, she's done fine. The other judges like her. Norm says, uh, I thought that was horrible. I think you're one of the worst people I've seen in this whole competition. And I'm like dying laughing. And then he goes, he goes, I think that you are incapable of writing a joke. And she goes, oh, well, I'll work on that. She's trying to be nice. She's like, okay, thank you. I'll, I'll work on that. And he goes, no, no, don't work on it. I said you are incapable. <laughs> that was the, oh. uh, uh, yeah, that was, uh. the, that was the second go around with Anthony Jeselnik as the host. He's talking to Jay Moore, who's like the co-creator of the show. Yeah, it amazes me they didn't want drama. And another difference between this and most reality shows is they didn't restrict it to amateurs. You could be Mm. a professional comedian and you could go and give it a shot on this show. No, I I do remember. That's the episodes I did see where like Rich Voss and uh, Dave something other like hanging out in a hot bathtub together naked but with hats and like... (laughs) They, they'd have like a real world aspect because they all had to live in the same, the same house at, at least in the first iteration and then they'd go perform and yeah I don't know I, it's been retooled and brought back a number of times and I still don't think it's enough to get me to watch but I wish I wish I liked was more interested in the idea because I do like stand up uh, ooh look at this HBO uh, passing torches over here six feet under season three ends with I'm sorry I'm lost uh, yeah, this had one of the goofiest deaths in all of Six Feet Under history. And that's a lot of deaths. Which one was this? 
This one was the one where sometimes airplanes have to flush oh. and jettison <laughs> the bio waste mixed with blue fluid. You know, you're in the toilet yes. in the airplane mm-hmm. and it's blue. Whatever reason, there's been 27 recorded instances of airplanes having to eject that. It's fallen and hidden something. Now, in real life, there's been no deaths, yeah. but it has come crashing through someone's roof. Right. So if they were in the wrong spot, it could have absolutely killed yeah. them. And that's how the woman dies at the start of this. And you keep thinking it's going to be someone else because her yeah. husband is doing stupid thing after stupid thing. And she's on the phone with him and she's like, don't do this stupid thing. Static stack. I can't hear you. I'm going outside so I can talk to you out of doing the stupid thing. Cut plat. <laughs> I remember Uh, that very vividly. It was awesome. And it just reminds me of how I wish I was playing Breath of the Wild. And it's just like, yeah, those blocks jump, they drop from the sky. You got to be real unlucky to be under the the law of averages means that it could like hit dinosaur bones before it hit hit a person. (laughs) It's just too small. Uh, Yeah, but the episode itself is, you know, that's just the opener. The episode itself. Goes to some pretty dark places. Uh, this is not the episode, on this show. What? What? Uh, Nate, the police call him, and they've discovered the body of his missing wife, who is now not just missing; she's dead. It's what he's suspected. He gets in a downward, destructive spiral. He's drinking, gets in a bar fight, and then he starts driving a car while drinking, yeah. and his dead wife appears to him and tells him that he should crash his car because it's the only way he can make up for her being dead. And his father, who's also dead, starts encouraging him to commit suicide, giving him directions for how he can directly drive off a cliff. And he's Mm. just driving and trying to convince himself not to kill himself. And it's expertly done. Such a good rewatch. I right. do not recommend that show enough. Kind of, I, I loved being like an HBO addict during this period, like because I'd have to go to a friend's house to watch this, and we'd watch mm-hmm. every Sunday. And like, well, I'm not going to go over there next Sunday just because the show. What, what else are they showing? And the Wire season I two, I think initially season. the most controversial season of the Wire for its lack of controversial subject matter. <laughs> uh, but they they juxtaposing uh, what we, the Wire a show about wiretapping drug dealers in Baltimore, cops and drug dealers. And then you throw in a bunch of busted humps (laughs) of dock workers. But when you have seen all of the wire, you realize like, this is an important piece of the death of American institutions. This focusing on the working class. It just seems it sticks out like a sore thumb because everything else kind of takes place in the inner city and uh, with police And this is just like how shitty it is to be a laborer in America um, 20 years ago. (laughs) Um, Yeah, sorry for everyone out there who works with their hands. Yeah, there's there's a fantastic scene in this season where the union guy, he's our main protagonist. He's uh, getting dirty because he's trying to save his union because Mm -hmm. it's not enough jobs. And he goes to a meeting with management and they're like showing the new electronic system and they say it's really going to cut cost and he's uh saying and how many jobs is this going to cost and the guy says i don't have that finger off hand but it's definitely going to decrease worker safety incidents and we can all agree that's a good thing right and then he goes well yeah no workers means 
we're not in danger anymore. And yeah, mechanization was Mm -hmm. swimming along at this time. Uh, You can look at a chart of American workers, total number in the industrial field. How many people are actually working industrial jobs? It's been falling for basically 40 years. And uh, you've got all these people who have been trained to do this thing their whole life. And then it's like, now we don't need you anymore. And it's like, well, I'm 45. I've got a bad back. Can I really be retrained to other things? And oosh, this season tackles that amazingly. I'm going to say it's, I I don't know of the better show about the working class in 2003 than this show. Yeah. It's, it's, just this always season. been about the decline of the institutions of Baltimore and basically taking the middle class away from Baltimore <laughs> in this season. And it just, it never really weaves itself back in and out of the wire very well. And a lot of these cast members don't well, come back from the second season. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't know they were going to have a second season. Okay. Oh, okay. And <laughs> making, making season one, they end split up, they end all over the place. And it was like, well, if we get a season two, we'll worry about it then. But yeah, then they have to spend like four episodes or whatever of this season getting the gang back together. And it's mm-hmm. just like, well, you didn't know there would be a second when season. When I was watching so I it, could... this season was the least exciting. When I rewatched it, I'm like, I'm getting a lot more out of this now that I know the clear picture of. And, and again, I think what the show was always about, like people in mostly civil service trying to do their best up against people also trying to do their best with a lot of red tape and no one's allowed to do their best ever. And <laughs> the wire is a Greek tragedy. Yeah. You know, it's the anti-American story. The wire is telling you great forces beyond your control matter. You cannot change those forces, give up trying to change anything and accept that the best you can do is to adjust your sales. You cannot change the wind. Mm. That's not a common story in American cinema, American novels. You know, that's that's not the myth we like to tell ourselves. But it is a very ancient Greek myth. Yeah. And The Wire captures it amazingly. And brought about by what's well, made by journalists who basically, like, mm-hmm. know the city, like, uh, in, in ways I could never really understand. Know the city of Baltimore in ways I can't really understand. Uh, the Wire is very worth watching. You don't need another white yeah. guy to tell oh. you that. Yeah, but- <laughs> final thing I loved about this episode is that it starts with a whole bunch of murders, and each police oh. uh, bureau is doing its best to say, we don't want these murders. There's a lot of them. We have zero <laughs> chance of ever solving them. That'll make our numbers look bad. And so they do this amazing bureaucratic dance to figure out who has responsibility right. for them. And then McNulty <laughs> does more work than he's ever done in the entire series just to stick his old boss with those murders. <laughs> and then <laughs> that's where we also meet uh, Amy Ryan. I, the first time I remember seeing her in anything. Um, and yeah, Amy Ryan, she's b- big in the season, comes back here and there, but uh, nothing big in the season. And then closing out TV 20 years ago, don't know if we'll be watching this uh, in the next next year or so. The MTV Movie Awards, I believe now they call it the MTV TV and Movie Awards. Uh, yep. It's a very weird show when I watch the COVID one. But this one I remember very vividly. Yeah. Well, because we've already talked yes. about Will Ferrell as the architect, which yes. is kind of the most memorable thing out of it. But, you know, like when you wanting all the movies you want to see win 
for stuff you like. Hey, Spider-Man, Eight Mile, Lord of the Rings, Two Towers, one's best movie, but I'm not be, yeah, being pervy. Spider-Man was more than a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. How did they not? A- Thanks, Steve. Um, but that tattoo performance, it's one of my favorite pop songs from a band I don't care about at all. <laughs> and all that, all that rain on the stage, I don't care that's two underage girls making out. I really don't. I just think that this is a fun pop performance and I hadn't seen anything like it at the time. Uh, mm. but yeah, we, uh, anything else? Uh, yeah, actually there's a good one. They, they added best virtual performance. They, they add <laughs> things oh, right. hither and thither. You know, just just because it's fun. They have best transatlantic performance because there's so many British people pretending to be Americans. Whatever. Um, best virtual performance is Andy Serkis for Gollum for Lord of the Rings Two Towers. And yes, that, he and just deserved an award for that. There was enough performances to nominate to get five. He beat out Scooby Doo, Dobby <laughs> from Harry Potter, Yoda from Star Wars Episode Two, and Kangaroo Jack. <laughs> Yeah, and but yeah. that 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 Weta clearly prepared an acceptance speech from Gollum. It was yeah, amazing. So, yeah, so Andy Serkis goes on stage and he gives a speech in the character of Gollum, which then wins in a Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation Short Form. Wow, what? his acceptance speech won an award. <laughs> wow, wow, <laughs> I miss you, MTV Movie Awards. Oh. Uh, 2003 video games. If this is a game of thinking of brute force, I have one friend. You have one friend who have one inside joke that is not spread beyond that one friend. We were mm-hmm. spending the week uh, in a different state at our friend's house, and they had a he had a little widow brother who talked kind of like this, and only mom, I want brute force, brute force, <laughs> and, and it, like a little kid, he keeps trying to talk about details of the games, and and like, but no one's listening to him, but he'll keep reiterating them, and then we notice he's saying. 20 times in a row, tugging, tugging on his mother's arms, whiff wazes, whiff wazes, whiff wazes, whiff wazes, whiff wazes. So anytime me and my friend discuss video games, like, is it whiff wazes? I'm like, yeah, it's got wazes. Uh, so, yes, that's all I have to say about Brute Force, because it was not a I was like, why does he want that game? <laughs> what, was, what does that mean? With I don't la- know. With lasers. Oh. Uh... You know, when you... I, I, think i did this as a little kid when you're trying to get your parents to buy you something and you're adding in highlights that they couldn't give a fucking shit about <laughs> right <laughs> it's and it's got it's with wazes not like the other one this was with wazes with wazes with wave and this was like for days for days he did this until he got the game and i watched him enjoy it uh but yes and also this is hinting us something to come uh hulk is out on a uh, pc ps2 gamecube xbox and gba uh, so this is set Eight years after Ang Lee's Hulk. And as far as I know, this is the only continuation of that storyline. I think so. so, Well, other other than other than Tim Roth, who has been reestablished in MC in the MCU. Wait, no, that's from that's never mind, that's from Edward Norton's Hulk. Yeah, Ang Lee's Hulk has not been continued. Maybe they'll do a uh, Into the Hulk verse something. Oh, please. I, w- <laughs> I wish they would. But uh, we know that Universal still owns the distribution rights for a solo Hulk movie. So Marvel cannot do that. There will never be an MCU Hulk centered movie. It sucks. As always, they can do it. Money. Money. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things they're talking about when like all these companies are merging and trading shit on streaming services that like that's always in Disney's deck. Like, give us Hulk. <laughs> give give us Hulk back. It's just odd that that never expired. Holy shit! Uh, and then those, uh, 
this game, if I recall, like the Hulk games fare pretty well because it's, I'm not, I don't want to say it's not hard to make a game out of Hulk's powers, but what you want to see Hulk do, walk around, break stuff, we got this. That we got this. You can bring down buildings, <laughs> thunderclap cars to death. You can do that. And then, of course, on GBA, there's uh, the Iron Man game for GBA was great, but I think there's another Activision side-scroller uh, old school. Uh, isometric game. Oh, isometric game. All right. Even yeah. more clever. Even more clever. Well, you know what? That about wraps up the 2003 segment. Hey, we're not going as long as last week. Uh, so let's close down with uh, Fly From Inside by Shinedown. It is out this week. Don't move. we got one more segment left, and we're going to zap you 10 years into the future. Stay right there. Hello, fellow nerf herders. Did you not like Last Jedi, Rise of the Skywalker, or would you just prefer a majority of Star Wars fans to take a slow walk into a volcano? What I'm saying is, are you sick of Star Wars? Well, I thought I was, but my co-hosts Jeremy and Adam beg to differ, except when they don't. Get ready for a whole lot of love, a whole lot of hate, and a whole lot of geeky therapy in our new series, Sick of Star Wars, with a big giant question mark, exclusively available at patreon.com slash laser time. Here's a little taste. My monkey. There was no internet in 1980, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I, I wanted yeah. to find people's reactions to Empire Strikes Back because... Yeah, it's the it's the twist, man. W- what was it? What was it when people walk at a theater? How were people talking about this? And it's... One, it's really weird. The only cool record we have of this is Starlog Magazine allowed people to write in. And you can find those on archive.org. And that remains the closest thing we have to a comment thread about Empire Strikes Back when it comes out. But what we did have was wonderful, wonderful news stories. They have audience reactions of people coming out of the theater. Although the critics are disappointed, consumers looking for an escape into fantasy this summer will have the last word. Left me confused. <laughs> Didn't understand any of it. Special effects were tremendous. Really enjoyed it. Oh, I thought it was pretty good. I didn't like the ending. It could have been a better ending. Get fucked, lady. <laughs> Oh, that's Sick of Star Wars, available exclusively at patreon.com slash lasertime, along with weekly bonus shows, over 100 movie commentaries, exclusive bonus podcasts, and more for just five bucks. And that's in addition to the brand new show, Sick of Star Wars, an angst-ridden podcast saga told in nine parts. Listen long and prosper. This is so wizarding. Hello, Mr. and Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of May 26th through June 1st, well, obviously, you already heard me talk about the 1969 Italian job starring Michael Caine. It, God damn, that movie's so fun. It's, I seriously think it's one of my favorite heist movies of all time. Just period. But let's go further back. Also this week, coming out 75 years ago in 1948, probably the best horror comedy of the classic era Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein <laughs> it's got Bella Lugosi it's got Lon Chaney Jr it's, it, it, it is what it says on the tin you know it's it's making fun of universal horror movies put out by universal like before the dark universe there was the Abbott and Costello verse where you know there's they're two guys and they you know accidentally stumble on Dracula's castle and then uh, the Invisible Man maybe sneaks up and then there's, you know, 
vampires and they got to get away from the vampires. And it's just so silly. Man, there are so many bad versions of this. <laughs> like, I have to point out the good version. They made so many bad horror comedies like this back in the day. <laughs> Looking at you, Bella Lugosi meets a Brooklyn gorilla. Oh my god. That would be so bad. Anyway, 60 years ago this week saw the release of Paul Newman is HUD, which is kind of hard to Google because you just end up with the Housing and Urban Development Department. You got to put in HUD film, then maybe you'll get there. But it's, you know, kind of a, a modern Western starring Paul Newman, Melvin Douglas, Patricia Neal. So good in it. It's based on a Larry McMurtry book, which I didn't even realize, but now it makes complete fucking sense because larry mcmurtry did you know lonesome dove last picture show you know he's a guy who really captures people trying to scrape by in the west just barely but yeah hud it's about a rancher his no good son uh other people in this town trying to keep the ranch alive and the, the i think there's uh, cattle disease going around and they're gambling it all and Beautiful cinematography by James Wong Howe. Fucking Elmer Bernstein music. God, I forgot it was Elmer Bernstein. But yeah, James Wong Howe is one of those guys that's like, I think we just left Asian American Heritage Month. So I'm going to shout out James Wong Howe along with Connie Chung as being like, you were the one Asian person who got the job for 40 fucking years. And he was amazing. And then uh, on a much, much lighter, goofier note, uh, turning 40 this week, Valley Girl. <laughs> directed by Martha Coolidge. Nicolas Cage's first proper film. 40 years this guy's been working. Holy shit. Obviously, you could count, he's basically an extra in uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, where he's billed as Nicolas Coppola. Here he is, actually Nicolas Cage, being Nicolas Cagey, in, in a very, more of a Raising Arizona Nicolas Cage than other kinds of Rage Cages that we'll get, but this is such a goofy movie. Oh my god. Seriously, because it's like this Valley Girl and like she's really popular and has lots of friends but then like she's like gets involved with a bad boy and then there's like romeo and juliet in kind of it just really captures a very very specific time in the early 80s and it's a ton of fun so yeah valley girl i might have actually missed it it might have been in april whatever i'm fixing my mistake now because dates can be tough especially with smaller movies so valley girl apparently also known as bad boys in some places. I don't know why, but yeah. Especially if you're a Nicolas Cage connoisseur, you have to watch Valley Girl to see, like, this guy became a movie star, huh? Okay, I guess I kind of see it. Yeah, he's like, okay, cool. So, that's it for this week. Stay classic. When I pass from this world to the next, when I am laid and my soul is put to rest, my legacy will be there for all to see. For how long after I am gone will my deeds outlive me? The apostle says we must all appear before our Christ to judge my place in the world the way I frame my life. Hell yeah! Coming into 2013. Uh. With Christopher Lee, of all people. Oh, my God. Uh, Best known as Willy Wonka's dad. My favorite heavy metal musician who has literally slit people's throats. Yeah, in World War II. <laughs> uh, Christopher Lee off of Charlemagne, The Omens of Death. I don't even know if this is his first album. I think he does. This like... is not. This is his fourth album. Wow. His second about Charlemagne. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, Christopher Lee. Love him. Miss yeah. him every day. And that's, I mean, freaking uh, Richie Faulkner of Judas Priest there playing wow. guitar. Incredible. Yeah. Well, Charlemagne the Omens of Death is out now. That was let, uh, Legend Mark Me as King by none other than Christopher Lee, Willy Wonka's dad in the movie No One Can Forget. <laughs> for, at least for his 90th birthday. Wow. <laughs> God, what, if, what happened if he was, like, worldwide famous before he was 100 years old? What luck. Uh, other new music releases this week include Once I Was an Eagle by Laura Marling, The Devil Put Dinosaurs Here by Alice in Chains, Foreplay by The Dream, uh, Weapon by Skinny Puppy, and Settled by Disclosure, Can't Hold Us by Macklemore and Ryan Lewis featuring Ray Dalton is still number one, and none of them are a Christopher Lee metal album, so it doesn't matter at all. T- 2013, welcome everyone. Uh, May 26th through June 1st, uh, we have... A bit of sad news. Uh, first tornado chaser to be killed by a tornado. Feels like it should have happened earlier. Wow. Um, that in 2013? Yeah. Yeah. First one. Yeah, Twister but, uh, led me to believe their cars were always getting sucked up into those funnels. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this clip, I think, emphasizes what he was trying to do and why he really sacrificed his life for this. Oof. Because Tim Samara and two others were killed by El Reno Tornado. Uh, the El Reno Tornado in Oklahoma, the widest ever recorded at 2.6 miles wide. That was like a hurricane. But yeah, here's a clip of what uh, JR had mentioned. And get great data and therefore understand what the air is doing, what the pressure is doing right there near the ground where people live. Once we understand all that, the models will be better and the warnings will be better and I think more lives will be saved. So yeah, uh, it's it's a you can make fun of tornado I w- I was framing this as like a cliffhanger to type save person. People's lives. Yeah. Okay, it's not just let's go get drunk and watch a tornado. Yeah. It's <laughs> if we get more data, we can save lives. Let's go get the data. I'm still I don't know. I don't know. I stud- I had to study a lot of weather in college and that was like harder than algebra to understand like what makes weather do things and then tornadoes still don't have have any idea how they work when they'll touch down they're so unpredictable uh speaking of tornadoes how about a relationship tornado courtney cox and david arquette divorce (laughs) they were married in 1999 so that's probably a lot longer than it it, vegas was taking odds on that Mm -hmm. and i do think they're very cute in that they are still in the scream series and if you didn't see that David Arquette documentary, they're still really good friends and like hang out all the time and uh, have a lot, nothing but nice things to say about one another. Can't ask for anything more in an ex. Uh, That's nice. I is. like good divorce stories. Yeah, man. Having, a, yeah. having a fun ex is cool. Uh, and I'm n- hookups aside, it just is cool to have. Oh, mm, I wish I had exes who were friends, but they all mysteriously died in fires. Ah, that's poisoning mm. accidents. <laughs> wow, mapped on a course from L.A. to Philadelphia. It's so weird. Um, <laughs> and then moving on to movies of 2013, we got uh, Fast and the Furious 6, still number one at the box office. Can't stop saying nice things about this movie that made a billion dollars. Uh, <laughs> we also have... Uh, Tom- right. Well, bye. Yeah, okay. Well, we ha- we have a bunch of indie movies that are One that I really want to go to bat for. Okay. So, let let's I'm moving through them kind of fast cuz Yeah, there's always so many. So, let's start with Byzantium with Sir Sharon and Gemma Atherton, uh Sam Riley, Johnny Lee Miller, Caleb Landry Jones, Tom mm-hmm. Hollander, all people I like and it's directed by someone uh, I really like Neil Jordan. And it's a vampire movie. 
and he knows from vampire movies because he made interview with one. <laughs> and it's I, I, I admit I didn't get around to it, but I like the idea. So much of it is about like vampires just having to like live their lives and just like pull their shit together and like you can't kill too many people and then you got to move and then you meet up with folks and then you start telling them your backstory and you know you remember shit from 200 years ago and it's still traumatizing you yes and uh yeah uh, let me just throw this in there interview with the vampire is the superior film because there's a direction okay mm. lestat wants answers and all throughout the movie it's his quest for answers he's going somewhere these characters aren't going anywhere. They don't mm. have any like goal and they need something. They can't just be survival. You know, um, I, here's the worst thing I can say about this movie. Everything interesting in this film was already explored in the 19th century. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Everything interesting in this film came from Mary Shelley, Bram Stoker and Edgar Allan Poe. They're all geniuses, but unless you're doing a straight-up adaptation of their work, you need to bring something of your own, okay? Mm. You can't just be like, remember the 19th century? Member? Member? Mm. Also, I will go to bat for the Interview with the Vampire series that was on AMC. I didn't finish it, but it was fucking cool. I didn't cool. watch it. It was fucking good. <laughs> and it brought up some things I never thought about, and I was surprised it even mentioned. Like... Like they they do make some changes, like the the little girl who is like a little little girl in the movie in the book is more like a she's like fourteen fifteen, but the idea of like she loses her virginity and then it grows back. Ooh, <laughs> and I didn't read okay. any of the books, but so, I, I know I a lot never of people who thought did. about that. So every kind of bonus point for that. But if you didn't like yeah. the way they alluded to Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt fucking in the movie. You might enjoy the show because it's made oh, yeah. just implicit. Huh. And, uh, yeah, uh, but real quick, um, so this movie is about lesbian vampires in it, hey. and Woo. and uh, then the English teacher with Julianne Moore, Greg Kinnear, Michael Ungarano, Nathan Lane, and Lily Collins. Yeah, another one. Pretty decent reviews. These all have pretty-ish good reviews. We're talking 50s, 60s, and Rotten Tomatoes, which means they're for somebody, but not for everybody. Julianne Moore plays an English teacher. Her successful playwright former student comes back to town to put, and she's like going to put on his play and then they have an affair and that puts everything in jeopardy. Oh no! But it sounds much lighter than that could be. That could be some heavy shit. And it sounds like this is much lighter and uh, everyone in it is really good. So and, and and I'm, I'm curious. This is one of these where I am curious and I don't have the time. We have so many movies. I didn't have time to rewatch, but a movie I really dug from 10 years ago. Megan Mullally, Nick Offerman, Allison Brie, uh, Moises Aris, uh, Gabriel Basso, and Nick Robinson, The Kings of Summer. And I, obviously, you know, I'm prone to my nostalgic movie. Like, I, if you liked Explorers, which is not a great movie, but I love it to pieces. Watch that for all the things you wished you did during childhood and never did. This is much more realistic. A group of boys decide to start stealing lumber and building a rad shack in the middle of the woods to create a basically like a ramshackle house for themselves. And then during the summer decide we're just not going to go home and we'll come out of the woods to pull some friends in and throw parties, but we're going to live in this secluded fortress we've built, these high schoolers built in the middle of the summer. 
and I think it's wonderful. It it, it it's not just the premise. It's, there's moments of just very personal heartbreak that occur in the movie that I deeply relate to, and just you know, these are the type of movies. Even ten years on, where will these get made? Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's 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 awesome. A practical fantasy movie for about about high school boys, and yep. uh, I. I, I've heard nothing but good things about Kings of Summer, mm-hmm. and just about every review I read brought up Stand by Me. Yep, and it's like yep. I, I'm hearing you. I like it. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, but Kings of Summer—that's one of my big recommends this week because uh, gets a little silly as we go on. But uh, the East, tell <laughs> me about the East, Diana. Oh, the Alexander Sarsgaard, Elliot Page, Julia Orman, Patricia Clarkson. It is, oh, and Britt Marling, it is a thriller about someone going undercover with, like, an extremist environmental protest group. Um, it's It's got a very 70s thriller vibe to it. I, I saw this 10 years ago. I admit I didn't get to rewatch it. I always feel weird watching things with pre-transition Elliot Page. It's mm. like, I feel like I'm crying. But anyway, um, yeah. Where it's, you know, there's a lot of corporate spies and double crossing and who's going to know and who's setting who up and that sort of stuff. And some of the reviews were like, it kind of goes on too long. It meanders a little bit. Uh, Yeah, I kind of agree. It could be a little bit tighter, but as like a espionage kind of thriller, but not about like Mission Impossible shit, but actually about like literal double crossing people. Yeah, the East, pretty good. Yes, and then uh, and then and then moving on to the big studio movies, uh, most of you are likely to have seen the most mm-hmm. of you are likely to have seen. Uh, Zoe- well, very few people saw this movie because it has a reputation for being the worst film of the year. Yeah, Zoe Kravitz, <laughs> Sophie uh, Okonedo, uh, Will Smith, and Jaden Smith in After Earth. Crash landed. Two confirmed survivors. Son, the threats we will be facing are real. If we are going to survive this, you need to remember that fear is not real. Danger is very real, but fear is a choice. Together, we will survive. After Earth. After Earth, uh, an M. Light Shyamalan joint. Uh, mm-hmm. I watched this for the first time and mm-hmm. same. I don't even know what to say about it. Like I, when I watch it, I, I feel like this seems like an adaptation of my favorite comic, but they tried to condense five volumes into one movie and left out a lot. And I just, I feel like there was something giant in this movie. I was missing like something cut out this. It feels like mm-hmm. half a story. I, I feel like they were trying to like capture like some old pulp sci-fi novel. You know, it, this feels, you're right. It feels like this was a sci-fi novel from like the 1950s and yeah. they're adapting it. And it's just so much of it. I'm just like, that's an odd choice. Yes. Why? I mean, the Will, big I why hate, accent. I hate, to, mm-hmm. I hate to harp on that, but it, it, it's been long enough in Jaden Smith. I don't want to shit on any kid and make their life hell, even if they're billionaires, sons of billionaires. But like, this is a Will Smith, pro- like Will Smith wanted to make this movie, hired the writers before there was a studio attached. Uh, the writers, a former colleague of mine, site. Because I mean, there's, there's stuff to like in here. It's just like, I wish there was another act. 
Cause like, mm. uh, but it's also, yeah, Jaden Smith can't handle whatever this is and whatever accent he's trying to do. Like, why don't you just not do that? Your dad didn't. Yeah. And, I, I feel like Jaden Smith's being set up here. Yeah. And I don't mean set up. Like everyone's like, Oh, this is just Nepo baby bullshit. They're just setting up to make Jaden Smith a, a big action star. And it's like, Jaden Smith can act. Mm-hmm. I oh. will go to bat for his version of the Karate Kid. Mm-hmm. I think that's actually a really good movie, and I think he's very good in it. Same. But he's got nothing to work with here because it takes place in the far-off future. Aliens invaded, and they destroyed Earth, and what's left of humanity lives other places. And then, uh, the, then they crash land back on Earth, and everything there is super scary and the aliens left animals there to kill us all and it, yeah I, and uh what will smith's legs are broken and so he yeah, sends the two survivors are to... will smith and his son will smith's legs are broken so he has to guide his son via transmitter walkie talkie as i believe the movie calls it um uh-huh. it's not a bad idea it's I not mean, fine that's fine that's fine i i, I like all that I'm I'm down with it. And there's there are a bunch of things in this movie that I really liked. I like its design of the future looks very different than the ones that we're used to. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the insides of the spaceships, the insides of where people live, like all that stuff looks different. Thank you. Thank you for giving me something new. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the idea that, yes, human accents would change over time. So they have this like accent sometimes they sound jamaican and sometimes yeah. they sound british yeah everybody's happy everybody sounds like madonna after she married guy Ritchie. <laughs> like, that's a little far like that's i get that there's world building but it's it worked in cloud atlas <laughs> mm, very that's, briefly that's the only, true true only for a little bit but like in the end i just i found it really really boring yep. and the, the i think the cg creatures are not good and there's plenty of sequences where Jaden Smith is standing in front of something I think they want us to believe is an environment but he's too well lit and the environment isn't and it just seems like CG 101 like why does this look like this uh, uh there were so many weird choices made in this film yeah. I mean throughout the movie we're supposed to see the development of the father son bond that was never there okay he's mm-hmm. a robot Uh, trying to make his son into a robot. They don't have a father-son bonding. That's what I think the movie is going for. At the very end of the film, Will salutes Jaden like a soldier, showing that he respects him as a soldier. But that's not what we saw. We saw them (laughs) building an emotional bond. He should have given him a hug like a human. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe you learn from your Uh, lessons why you have a bunch of dead relatives surrounding you because of all this this job and if anything that you're forcing your son into, which if anything makes it meta and enjoyable because Will Smith history will show kind of a problem, like helping his family get careers. Like marriage falls apart in his wife's talk show, (laughs) forcing his children into pop and, Movie I'm not star one careers. for celebrity gossip. I'm mm-hmm. really not. No, I, I had to Google I it see after the Chris Rock Will special. Smith videos, and I've never felt so bad for a near billionaire. It's just like heartbreaking to see him. A little bit, yeah. He signed some weird deal with Facebook to like live his life out like a constant reality show that I don't think just went away. In addition to putting his children and family in all these movies in the spotlight like this, I don't know. I, I, I think, I don't think he did him any favors, but then he compared making this to making wild, wild west. 
a great movie everyone loves yeah. yeah i know there was a lot of talk at the time of saying like is this secretly a scientology movie because like the whole idea of it is like the monsters can't see you if you have no fear they literally smell the fear on you, you and give so out pheromones you control your pheromones. emotions very tightly with this e-meter i guess then, then you'll something something so why did the alien just which, make creatures no, that no, smell no. carbon dioxide not. no this is a very old trope in sci-fi yeah. i must not fear fear is the mind killer fear is the little death that brings total obliteration mm -hmm. i will face my fear i will permit it to pass over me and through me and when it has gone past i will turn the inner eye to see its path where fear has gone there will be nothing only i will remain put that on a serenity painting jesus it's a great quote <laughs> i've it's used it at quote. times in my life and that's pretty much what this movie is teaching it's not scientology it's 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 part of sci-fi any yeah most sci-fi geeks will be like yes that's a sci-fi thing no i yeah. get it and what i what i liked is that uh expert people who research scientology basically are the ones to be like dude no this is a trope like what are you what are you talking mm -hmm. about and it, it did get compared a lot to battlefield earth i think probably because of its genre and box office performance but mm. Again, I feel like part like this is a very weird summer blockbuster unless it's a piece of a larger puzzle because it's a very, very small tale. You could tell this story yeah. as like Revenant Jr. Uh, <laughs> in, yeah, in any environment I, but this one. That's funny that you brought up like this is some sort of pulp adaptation because there was a couple times where I, I was getting like John Carter of Mars sort of vibes mm -hmm, of like, mm -hmm. This isn't technically bad, but I feel like I've seen this all before and you've brought nothing new to this material. Yeah. But mostly I was bored making man versus nature should never bore me because nature hates you and wants you to die. True. Oh, yeah. And this nature especially hates you and wants you to die because yeah. like the planet's all fucked up now and like everything freezes over at night. And yeah, and there's monsters and they're going to bite you. It, it does feel like there's some doctrine uh, behind it. It does feel like is this like a religious parable like what the fuck is this uh yeah. it feels like a piece of a yeah so i get the battlefield earth comparisons not recommended but on netflix no uh, no and uh, yeah i think it's people calling it like the worst movie of all time like no 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 like, not e not even close there are good things in this but there's a lot of stuff that's like but why why but why why is he named Cypher Rage? <laughs> oh well, because they rejected all these other names, Diana. Oh. Tell me, Dave. Slab bulkhead. Fridge large meats. Hunt speed chunk. Butch deadlift. <laughs> I'm letting this oh, play. Big flank. Splint chest hair. <laughs> Flint iron stag. Bolt Vander Huge. <laughs> big McLarge Huge. <laughs> oh, watch MST Space Mutiny if you can. Oh, that's one of my favorites of all time. I oh. love that. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, but the next movie I find also confounding because it is undeniably enjoyable, but might be the st stupidest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And, and this is an episode with Cliffhanger in it. Yeah. <laughs> and a crazy good cast. Dave Franco, Common, Michael Caine, Melanie Lauren, Mark Ruffalo, Woody Harrelson, Morgan Freeman, Isla Fisher... Jesse Eisenberg, and now you see me. Now, who here has a bank they would like us to rob? You will be teleported to your bank in Paris. We are the four horsemen. Good night! 
Can you explain how you robbed a bank 5,000 miles away? Magic. I'm gonna nail you. <laughs> They're pulling off amazing robberies and not keeping a cent for themselves. Being one up, Agent Rhodes. I want to cut them off at the knees. They're here. Stick to the plan. Nobody move! Now you see me. PD-13. Now you see me. Um, yeah, this movie is not streaming anywhere. That was frustrating uh, yeah. for something that is allegedly a franchise. I mean... What? Really? Yeah. Well... There's a second one, which they did not call Now You Don't because they're assholes. That's so <laughs> stupid. Just call it Now You Don't, colon, Now You See Me Too. Everybody will get it. Look at Fast, for fuck's sake. They don't ever... <laughs> the latest one is called Fast X. That's following off of F9 and Fate of the Furious. People will yeah. understand. Speaking uh, of, with the same director as the new Fast X, yes. Louis Leterrier directed mm-hmm. this. He, I didn't realize, I knew he was brought in at the last minute for the latest Fast and Furious. I didn't realize he was brought in with like three days warning. Whoa. Because uh, Justin Lin left because he was fighting with uh, people. Guess who? Uh, yeah, guess who. <laughs> guess who could be. Uh, the but, guy taking uh, everything way too seriously. Yeah. And speaking of, he also directed the the Incredible Hulk, not the Hulk that we'll be talking about shortly. Right. And But just uh, kind of why the premise, why hasn't anybody thought of this? Uh, the a couple of masters of misdirection, i.e., magic, create a massive amount of misdirection in the form of bank robberies. Very, very cool, and they perform them publicly. Yeah, we're gonna on stage in Vegas rob a bank in France before your very eyes, and the FBI is gonna have nothing to hold us on because it's yep. magic, magic. But yeah, with. Holes, plot holes you could drive a Mack truck through. I mean, obviously the first one is that hip, all hypnotism is complete and real. Yes. And yeah. very, very easy to do if you're Woody Harrelson, which I, I brought up, we talked about Trance a little while ago, and I know not a single one of you have watched that movie because no one messaged me and said, why didn't you warn me about that one scene? I watched this with my mom. <laughs> and also but, the, the idea anyway. that the... Bank heist they're pulling off in order to pull them off, they're spending a lot. They seem to be spending a lot more money than they're making. Everything <laughs> they're doing would require several million dollars and a team of 50 technicians. Yes. Yes. I mean, so many people like how, how do you move a 400 square foot mirror into place with three guys? You can't overseas, it, but it doesn't matter. Cause it's fun. Wouldn't, eventually chuck the grip be like you know i'm engaged in multiple high robberies maybe i should just turn these guys in yeah but the the only thing to me more fun than magic is debunking magic i i don't know if you're like me like like a couple times a year i'll just fall into a youtube rabbit hole of penn and teller fool us just a great show people do a magic trick and then they try and break down how they did it uh awesome because i i love that aspect of magic and it's part of movie making like how the fuck did they do that like well money and like 18 people under the floor and (laughs) that's typically how magic is done and but yeah applying it to a bank robbery it's intriguing and i i've seen it before felt the same way like this is i could see anybody calling this stupid but like this is a really good mixture of stupid popcorn fare and thoroughly compelling you know summer entertainment yes it's it's watchable and fun and you don't if as long as you don't think too hard about it like how did they get 
all of people who got fucked over by this bank all to show up to one place and get their bank info. And it's like, this is months of research. Mm -hmm. And you sent them tickets and they all showed up like there'd be plenty of people. I don't know what this is. This is probably some sort of like timeshare scam. I'm not showing up for this. My, my question of 302010 tenors is, do I see the sequel? Because mm. uh, I can't imagine. <laughs> Can't imagine this can go very far, but uh, yes, there's a lot of. It's too soon to spoil, but like, yeah, I, I think this movie is thoroughly enjoyable. Not my biggest recommend of the week. Now you see me. Good. It, it's it, it, it's almost nostalgic. Like, oh, there's going to be big budget camera swingy ensemble movies that don't have superheroes in them. It used to happen. Yeah. <laughs> It used to happen. And it's also owned by a studio with no streaming service. So you can't see it for free. Yep. Uh, free asterisk. Shut up, everybody. Now you see yeah. me. Anything yeah. else? Because like one of my favorite movies of the week was on TV, which I don't get. Uh, because they're cowards in Hollywood. That's why it took them seriously at least 10 years just to get enough money to get the movie made. And then... Even then, even with big names attached, it's too gay for theaters. Unbelievable. And it, at they the time, not get distribution for this movie because it's too gay. At the time, and, just, and possibly when result, you, this is Steven Soderbergh's last movie. Market it like that. That could bring people to theaters. <laughs> That's like every one of his. Movies. I know, but I, I, I have a feeling that probably his dealings with this made him want to quit the business. Uh, so, if you don't know by now, listeners, we are talking about a. Liberace yes. biopic called Behind the Candelabra. Let me, let me get that spot out. Rob Lowe, Debbie Reynolds. Debbie Reynolds, right. It's her last film. Scott yeah. Bakula, Dan Aykroyd, Matt Damon, and Michael Douglas in Behind the Candelabra. Ladies and gentlemen, Liberace. Wow. You are incredible. Why don't you come work for me? As what? I need a companion. Someone I can talk to. Alone at last. This is my houseboy. Michael Douglas. I am so sorry. I'm so informal. Matt Damon. Behind the Candelabra. I want to do some surgery on Scott. I want him to look like this. Fucking crazy. Because even, like, get over your homophobia. This is one of the wealthiest, weirdest individuals who has ever existed. Like, a, a world-famous celebrity. One person for something he does better than anybody else. And lives very strangely and opulently so you got your you got your you got your rich fantasies here and you're like oh god he wants to change his boyfriend's face he should have asked first uh <laughs> yeah no it's i mean overall it's a portrait of someone who's very talented very eccentric selfish and lonely mm -hmm. and the, the loneliness really gets in there and i think michael douglas like my god you could just camp the shit out because that's what liberace was like any if you any impersonation of Liberace is like a parody of him because he's so big and flamboyant. It, it, it again, it, it, it's not the movie isn't taking that tone. It's much more serious. But like I always thought, looking at Liberace, like this is the most not out out guy I've ever seen in my life. He's exactly. doing all but saying like two words: "I'm gay" all the time. <laughs> yeah, I that's a distinct role. We, we've had a lot of those guys. Yeah. Uh, if you go back, it's like, well, obviously that guy's playing gay. You all know it, mm -hmm. but either one, you just it just doesn't register, so you don't actually know it, or two, you're not going to admit it, but because you like this guy. Mm -hmm. 
No, it, and, it's it's something I was in something I was studying in college. Like the real fear over homosexuality came about once they gave it a name because it was just something people were doing and didn't have a name. And once it did, you had something to demonize and watch when you watch seventies entertainment, like Charles Nelson, Riley, Paul Lynn, like people, they're <laughs> making jokes about it, but they're, but they're what they play straight people on television. Uh, they're not out, out. Well, and, and we've had that much more recently than you think. Nathan yeah. Lane was not out when right. he made the birdcage. Right. He yeah. was really worried. He was about to be outed. Be outed. Um, and I, I would love, I was reading about the Frasier reboot. David Hyde Pierce was never in. He just like, yep. I'm just not going to bring it up. Like, uh, <laughs> don't, yeah. Uh, but he never hit anything. Yep. It's, and, I mean, yep. time, times change, man. Mm-hmm. Or do they? We're backsliding pretty fucking hard, yep. but. God damn, this is really good. And everyone is really good in it. Rob Lowe, I don't know what the hell they did to his face. I think there's weird <laughs> face tapes. He has the weirdest yes. face in this. This is a plastic surgeon. It looks like you could cut glass with his nose. It's like, what is that? And, and, and like, <laughs> like made good, out of rubber. Good biopics. It's not focusing on the entirety of Liberace's career, but lo- right. more like yeah. the opulent latter day. And well, it was also written. Uh, this is the true life story of his assistant. Right. He mm-hmm. wrote a book about it. And so that's what they're adapting. And okay. yeah, uh, that was the smart call because biopics don't do the whole life. No other mm-hmm. genre does that. Just don't do it. Yeah. You can get a much more yeah. personal portrait of a person by sticking with them rather than showing them the one time his parents yelled at him or he got his ass kicked in school. I feel like I know more about this movie than I would a traditional Liberace biopic. Yep. So, yeah, I, it, it's damn good. Now, huh, so let's go back. I don't know if you guys remember, Chris, but you used to have a show called Laser Time. I did. And so I good. remember that we talked about this in particular 10 years ago, probably about this week, mm-hmm. because like Folsom Street Fair or Pride Fest was going on mm-hmm. and we did a Laser Time while it was about <laughs> while it was happening you could hear it outside <laughs> about depictions of gay folks in film and we talked about liberace a bunch and i remember we wanted to wrap things up so we could get home so we could watch something coming on netflix and then i was wow. so angry we hadn't waited a day because there is a really deep gay reference uh, on the next show and i wanted to talk about it so much i was like oh um, if I could have just waited one day, I could have talked about George Maharis. God <laughs> damn it! Uh, man, I, the people, the real fans are very excited by your segue, Diana. Uh, arrest, and I think it's wonderfully important to talk about. Arrested Development returns on Netflix 10 years ago, and that's like 10 years to the day where it almost disappeared entirely. I thought that wasn't getting enough press. At the last minute, Netflix signed a deal to keep Arrested Development on Netflix. But before that, they were like, well, three seasons will go somewhere else, and the two seasons will disappear into the vapor, never to be seen again. But a lot, there was a lot of dissatisfaction. Arrested Development, cult show, grew and grew and grew, never a ratings winner, but was winning awards, and through DVD and torrent, uh, <laughs> grew to have a pretty sizable audience, especially if you were on the internet in 2013, and... Social media is giving a lot of things outsized importance, such as Arrested Development, and Netflix is bringing it back, and they're doing their Netflix thing and dropping, but this time they're dropping 
episodes of indeterminate length, like 20 episodes of indeterminate length all at once. And it was such an odd viewing experience because the rest of development really, really, at least the way I watched it, I would, in the second and third season, I would download it, watch it. And if I had time, I'd spend 18 to 21 minutes watching it again because it rewards repeat viewing. But going right into the next episode, even if that episode was 54 minutes long, uh, was supremely weird. And what we didn't know going into the season of Arrested Development was that it was very difficult on a schedule basis to get the cast back together. So they opted... The Mitch Hurwitz op- opted to have, what would you call it, non-linear storytelling, like all over the place, episodes focusing largely on single characters, and there's only one scene in the whole show, two scenes in the whole show, where the whole cast is together. And That's so bizarre. Well, it's it's a scheduling thing, and they, they, they the next season, they didn't do that, and it didn't re- improve its reception. But mm. the weird thing is... Arrested Development gets better every time you see it, or every time you rewatch it. You notice things you didn't, little breadcrumbs into something that'll happen like 20 episodes from then. Technically, this is the final boss of the thing that made Arrested Development season four, but it was all told out of order, so jokes wouldn't pay off for hours. And I remember (laughs) we were binging it, and it was a really odd experience because you just, all right, I'm spending 30 minutes with Michael. I'm spending 40 minutes with George Michael, Tony Hale is barely here at all. Uh, but do you remember that Netflix, when the fifth season came out and they were, Hurwitz was tongue in cheek, but I think literal about it, I'm going to cut these into 30 minute linear episodes. So in case we syndicate this, cause we can't hmm. tell this, we can't show this the way it's presented on Netflix. And they hid the original versions and fucked up all of these jokes that were like really, ta- you don't have to love season four, but it is it is a fucking balancing act. It is very strange when jokes finally pay off. When you realize, oh, that's why George Michael is popular because he is boyish in looks and moved into a community of all pedophiles. That takes 20 <laughs> episodes to reveal what is going on with him. And uh, I think they said Netflix hit it. You can still watch the original versions. I tried recently and couldn't find them in the place I was told they'd be. But. Uh, mm. That's that's the only thing that I think the thing that makes this most fascinating. It's not because it was disappointing. It was really experimental. And everybody receptionally got kind of kicked in the dick over it, but is very fun if you know you're gonna rewatch Arrested Development. Because oh man, and Seth Rogan and uh Kristen Wig playing <laughs> George and Lucille and flashbacks, the guest stars on the show, just <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I just think it's amazing that this was a show that was critically beloved, but it was kind of a cult show. And six years went by Yeah. until Netflix is like, yeah, fuck it. Let's throw some money at it. It's it's like, like the f- everyone's really like most of these people have film careers now. Yes. That's another thing. Like everybody was way more famous than when they started. Everybody, everybody is top lining films at this point for the most part. Yeah. Well, yeah, except for Jessica Walters, like, I'm just going to go over to Archer and just keep doing the exact same thing. Till I but die. now I can do it without, it. you know, I can do it in my PJs. And what's her? God bless Lindsay her. Bluth, uh, Portia Del Rossi, who's like, mm-hmm. in the last season, she has quit acting entirely and appears like, <laughs> it's very jarring. She shows up very little and always by herself because she's like, I'll do some rest development stuff, but I'm never acting again. And wow. it's 
Very, wow. very little. And I, I won't say the Netflix seasons are very satisfying, but I prefer the original season four as it aired 10 years ago to what you can immediately access on Netflix now, which is like three three to seven extra episodes because of how they cut and remove the timeline. It's very hard to explain some of these jokes, but like if you're an Arrested Development fan, they really pay off and they've been ruined by what fateful consequences is what they call season four. That is the remixed, my non-preferred version. Am I going on too long about Arrested Development? It's one of my favorite shows, <laughs> uh, warts and all. Something else debuts this week that I, I oh. never saw well, I was just going to say about mm. Arrest Development, like, yeah, the, I'm just impressed by the, the level of difficulty that you have all of these intersecting storylines with all these different characters in each episode is pretty much just about one of them and how they slowly start to intersect very yes. just, just goofy things that pay off goofily later in someone else's episode. Now, George Maharis <laughs> was the star of a show called Route 66. And the joke is early in the in one of the episodes, Michael Sarah's character, George Michael, says he doesn't want to be called George Michael anymore because that is a name synonymous with soliciting gay sex in a public bathroom. George Maharis <laughs> was also arrested for soliciting gay sex in a public I didn't bathroom. Know that. I didn't know that. And that's the mm. joke that he that. changes his name to George Maharis, thereby changing his name to pretty much the only other person I can think of who has been in that situation. What is it with George M's in public bathrooms? I don't know, <laughs> but they go in such goofy ways to get to that joke. And I remember watching it and, and there's this goofy thing of like how he gets to Harris to add to his name. And I remember we paused it cause Michael had to go to the bathroom and I'm sitting there going, why do I know that name? And by the time he came out of the bathroom, I was sitting on the couch, flapping my little hands frantically, like, oh, my God, I know where they're going with this. He never does get arrested in the bathroom. <laughs> and and, uh, and one of the things they cut out in the new season, do you remember they'd flash back to things in the first three seasons, but it always had a watermark that said Show Stealer <laughs> Pro, and they had to pirate their own show? <laughs> that that whole joke is gone in the in the remix version. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I, they said, I, I looked before the show, didn't see it either, but you can find the original fourth season as it aired 10 years ago under trailers or more. It is not under season four. You can find the what whole the re- original four. Yeah, it's really weird. Um, because Fateful Consequences is not my preferred version. If they say that after the, because they, Ron Howard says it after every title for 20 something episodes, Arrested Development, Fateful Consequences. That's the one mm. you don't want to watch. Um, in my yeah. opinion. And uh, speaking such an amazing show, I've never seen it. Confession Boo. time. Boo, JR. Oh, I think you'll like it. Too busy watching uh, Avengers Assemble, which is debuting on Disney XD. Yeah, you can see what they were going for. You know, they knew the Avengers was going to be a hit, or at least going to be enough of a hit for kids that they should make a cartoon out of it. So, I... this is very much let's try to make the Avengers movie into a comic book. To do that, they had to get rid of their previous series, The Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes, Mm -hmm. which most fans of Marvel Animation consider the better version. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is just trying to ape the films too much, and uh, it's not well regarded. Yeah, it's surprising how little... Because I believe what Disney's interest in acquiring Marvel, obviously they're making billion-dollar movies, was... Because on their Disney Toon channels, those X-Men 
Marvel cartoons were performing so well, like, we want more of these. Why don't we just fucking buy this whole company? Yet, yet all these cartoons tend to last like one or two seasons. I think sometimes they're designed like that because Disney does a lot of that. I but... really just think the Marvel animation department should have driven three dump trucks full of money uh, up to Bruce Timm's house. Yeah. Yeah, he's still on the Batman. That's... Can't get him away. Yeah, but just go up to him and say, you're in charge of all of Marvel in animation. You know, do that. Mm-hmm. Mm, I wonder who I'd put in. Ooh, we can fantasy book now. Uh, who we put in charge <laughs> of that now? I probably shouldn't say Joss Whedon, but it'd be pretty good. Uh, shows I didn't watch. Body of Proof. It ends on ABC after uh, two years. Don't know it. What, what if Doctor House was a female uh, mortician? Oh, medical examiner. She can. Uh, she was a brilliant neurosurgeon. Accident with her hands. She kills someone on the operating table, and then she goes to do investigations because she can't kill anyone if her hands twitches on those. Oh, and, <laughs> and then uh, okay. on the Sci-Fi Channel ending ending after uh, three seasons, three years. Uh, Merlin, the show Merlin, uh, pretty well regarded. This is also a BBC production. Uh, this is when it ended over here. Uh, the, it's got. I think everything that you want in a Merlin film, a TV series. I mean, you'd probably want a bigger budget because it is sci-fi. But from what I can see, if you like your Merlins and your Camelots, this is a decent series to get into. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Moving into games, we got the Unforgettable Fuse. Fuse, everyone. (laughs) Fuse. All I remember about this is this is the first Xbox game Insomniac ever made. They were kind of a Sony second-party studio making Spyro and Ratchet and & Clank's and that had had the right to make stuff on other platforms. Eventually, I think Sony locked them down into a, a owned unit, but like Xbox users were really excited. People who make the best games on PlayStation making their first Xbox game. And then it was also Fuse. Uh, <laughs> uh, Expeditions Conquistador hits uh, PC and Mac. Oh, we, every uh, platform is represented here. Yeah, it's a well-regarded game. It was financed by uh, Kickstarter, and you <laughs> do exactly what it says. You are a conquistador. Conquer a giant empire. Do I, I get mean, a metal hat? You get a metal oh, hat. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I love having a metal hat. Uh, Metal Hat with a Bill. It's the best. Um, And then uh, World War Z on iOS is out. Mm. First person shooter on mobile devices. Fucking hate it, man. Fucking hate it. No, don't. Hate it. Bad game. No. I mean, I know they work with controllers now, but like, I'm not buying a fucking phone mount for my controller. It's a big TV that I like even more is over here. Anyway. Uh, that is almost the conclusion of our show. We're going to tell you who died during this period and uh, the quiz you can play along with who, who was born, but we got a little plug, plug action out here. Uh, Patreon.com slash LazerTime, how this show is supported and LazerTime. Hopefully I have a new episode coming for you very soon. Sick of Star Wars, 80s in depth, bonus time stuff. We'll hopefully have more episodes of that as we move forward. I know I want to do something about recent movies with a buddy because uh, it's been a really kind of a banger of a summer so far. Fun, fun stuff in theaters. 
Um, and you can hear some of our thoughts, at least my thoughts on that, uh, patreon.com slash laser time. Give us five bucks. We'll give you extra 30, 2010 stuff, hundreds of extra podcasts, movie commentary, full length movie commentaries, more than you could ever ask for, for doing the good thing of supporting a show that you like with very few advertisements. Vision Game Apocalypse this week, super fun. I'll try not to talk about how much I love Zelda too much. Um, Diana, <laughs> where can people find you? They can find me on the Twitter at LeCineNerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 3027podcast, the 302010podcast. The show is coming in a lot smaller than I thought, but I'm glad that we didn't just spend the whole time going, After Earth fucking sucks! I think I was a a tiny bit shell-shocked by how long the last episode was that I cut some things short. I could talk about Arrested Mm -hmm. Development all day and Mario. I could do a mm, 90s in-depth on Mario, honestly. Yeah, there's been so much written about it, and I read every single word. It's got its own like webpage, the Super Mario Movie Archive or mm-hmm. something like that. And it's amazing. Uh, that's where where the uncut version comes from, and they have like as many scripts as they can find because it's like there might be like a hundred different versions of that script. Yeah. It's redonkulous. Yeah, and I've been reading that site. They for made years. a comic. They made yeah. a sequel. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh they got one God. of the 11 writers to come on board. and <laughs> Wow. Wow. Oh, goddamn. Uh, anyway, coming up next week, though, we do have some good stuff next week. Watch Let's with see. us, people. Starting with, well, we just talked about Fast and Furious movies. We have the second one. Mm. And the only thing that came Gross. out alongside it is a movie that both Chris and I recommended to JR and he's super fucking mad at us about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, whatever. Really? Uh, uh, I think I it's am, I fun. am. Grr, arg. And, and then I'm, I'm right. <laughs> mutant. And then, wait, but there, there's more. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, there's more. We have not one, but two different versions of the same story by Ooh. different filmmakers with basically the same script. And we'll see how that goes Plus, um, I hope everyone has gotten like new dresses, a nice, nice hat, and shined your shoes because Game of Thrones is going to have a wedding. Oh, it's so splendid! Yeah. Oh, all their friends are going to be there. So oh, fun! It's gonna be so much so fun. fun! Even the dog is involved. Oh, it's oh. great! That's great. Uh, no one can come back as a zombie, right? Um, sorry, that's, that's also a joke. we're going to see Toontown <gasps> go on the information superhighway. Oh. And, uh, a show will ask, "What color is your clean suit?" It's <laughs> one of my favorite titles. And uh, Jr., and... a little tease for you. Sure. Uh, I just saw that Indy and Young Indy are coming to Disney Plus. I think the, yes! day, the day we hear yes! this, I'm victorious. The day we, the, the day we're recording this, so I might not be able to see it, but like I'm excited about that it's available easily for the Me. first time ever. Yep. It should be. This is never going to be a big seller. This should be the game, where, uh, the the show where it's just like three people will discover it, and two of them will be high school history teachers. But it's something. Can you confirm? Have you seen the Dial of Destiny trailer? I am on total news oh, blackout. Damn it! I have not oh. seen the trailer. I am going in blind. I saw the new trailer Indeed, before Guardians, and I was like, I got to text Jr. to see if does it look like they have retconned young, anything in Young Indy. I know there was the eye patch, and not it, if I go to theaters and that trailer comes up, I'm closing my eyes and I'm sticking my thumbs in my ears. All right, 
It doesn't show a lot, but okay, okay. I already know I'm going to see it, okay? True. <laughs> this is not a question. It is not going to be like, huh, this Jones character seems intriguing. Perhaps I will partake it's... of one of these skedaddles he gets into. Come on. It's no, like... I'm going to be there opening night. I may dig out my fedora, okay? I know. I know I'm going to be there. I know I'm going to cook a big meal for me and my family, but I don't want to fucking smell it. No hints. No hints at all. <laughs> Wet your whistle, man. Uh, looks good. Uh, the trailers don't make it look good, but I, I, to me, but I hear nothing but great things, and the pedigree is just, man, at, after Logan, I'll watch anything that dude does. And sorry. Enough. Back to 30, no, 2010 stuff. Finally, we will see next week, X, the Exterminator, will appear. <laughs> uh, Blowing out my headphones, man. Yes. Also one of my favorite characters of all time. Uh, <laughs> all right. With that, with that, who died during this period of thirty twenty ten? And I know right off the bat, perhaps our most tragic death we've ever spoken of. Uh most tragic death of all time. Flew too close to the sun. Died too young. Uh, Nineteen ninety three. We lost the original Spuds McKenzie, aka Evie, who was only nine. That's Aww. Young for only nine. Yeah. She she was the original party animal. Yeah. Yet uh, died in a tragic orgy accident because that was Spuds. <laughs> that was Spuds. <laughs> what are you yep, gonna do? Had all those bikini babes around and died. I still, then, I still what? think it's adorable to dress up a dog like the ultimate party beer animal. Yeah. It's why not bring it back? It'd still be funny. It's so dumb. I know it's great. That's why it's. I guess that is why it's great. Also, we uh, we lost Sunra, the um, legendary jazz musician composer band leader who was 79 and then in 2013 we lost gene stapleton who made it all the way to 90 Damn. she's best known from all in the family but did oh, a lot of other stuff too i think she did a lot of stage stuff i think she's the first cast member to go in she... 2013 i think carol o'connor was already gone by then oh okay i thought she died first anyway anyway i don't know. with the deaths out of the way it's time for the birthday quiz give me birthdays Okay. All right. Turning almost 100. If this lady was alive, she would be turning 97. Wow. Okay. Oh, this is a but Diana Gear question. She, you know her, Chris. Okay. But she died before any of us were born. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Born Cleopatra. June 1st, 1926. At the Los Angeles General Hospital in Los Angeles, California, her mother was born in Pedras Negras, Chihuahua, Mexico, mm. to a poor Midwestern family who emigrated there. Huh. Her mother married an abusive man. They had two children, but she successfully filed for divorce and got sole custody of the woman we're talking about. But the abusive husband kidnapped the other two children and moved them to his native Kentucky. What? Ooh. This woman was not told she had a sister until she was 12. And they met for the first time in 1944 when she was 18. Wow. I got I I to guess. Mm. I got to guess, though. You're, it's probably right. Can you hold it? Okay. I, I'm, well, I got nothing. Put it in back. reserve. <laughs> I got nothing. Okay. Well, if I'm right, the story continues to get worse. Yes, the story does continue to get worse. Okay. If I named a single one of her movies, you'd get it instantly. So instead, I'm going to say facts about her. 
She was never nominated for an Oscar. Mm-hmm. She had problems memorizing her lines. She was paid often a much lower salary than some of the leading men in her films. Now we're back to every woman. She yeah. talked mm-hmm. about herself in the third person. Yes, but you only know her films because of her. Right. And put herself in the third person. Her husband, Joe DiMaggio, oh. left flowers at her grave three times a week for 20 years. Get over it, Joe. Um, Norma Jean Baker Mortensen. Yes. Yay. Also known as Marilyn Monroe. Mom her most Lord. famous films include Some Like It Hot, The Misfits, The Seven Year Inch, Itch, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, Bus Stop, How to Marry a Millionaire, All About Eve. Recon- I recommend all of those. Yeah. What's your fave? All of those. I mean, Some Like It Hot. Yeah. Some Like It Hot is amazing. Yeah. But second I, one, I mean, second one. Oof. I mean, Misfits and Seven Year Itch are both great. Gentlemen mm. Prefer Blondes is funny as hell. Mm. So, and I mean, it's her and Jane Russell who both have the same ridiculous hourglass shape and they are just. <laughs> going for it so it's pretty funny too i'm just like are these even human they're like the gigantresses from that futurama episode <laughs> they're gonna do snoo oh, snoo on your snoo face snoo. death by snoo snoo oh no <laughs> happened to me once but uh, i survived um good for you yeah, yeah. watch a Marilyn monroe <laughs> don't fucking watch blonde oh jesus christ they even they skip over the worst shit in Blonde because like she she went to a bunch of foster homes she was abused she had a, a very very troubled life and it, it's kind of an that's part of why I think people really gravitate towards her it's like she went through just the worst shit possible mm-hmm. and then became really famous but there's also like it's two people mm. Marilyn was a character that she played and then sometimes she couldn't tell the difference mm. and uh yeah she's just a fascinating fucking person mm. Uh, it's just nobody like, yeah, no, like some like it hot. I, I have to pick that one also because when I showed it to my husband who had never seen it, he, I don't think he'd seen a Marilyn Monroe movie. Mm-hmm. And like halfway through the movie, he turned to me and he's like, I get it now. I, I get why people <laughs> care about her. Mm-hmm. I'm like, there you go. Yeah. All right. Uh, happy, happy birthday, Norma, Marilyn, yep. whatever you want to yeah. be. Um, thank you so much for listening to the show. We're going to close out with, uh, what I love it by, uh, uh, Icona Pop featuring Charlie XCX. Um, that's a song, yeah. Diana. Yeah, from... it's it's one of those that's it's on the chart in 2013, and I'm like, I don't know any music from 2013. Click. <laughs> well, we will close out with a I love it, and uh, thanks for listening. Patreon.com/slash Laser Time. We will see you next week.